All right, all right, all right. You just heard American Woman there. It's Saturday. You know what that means. It's uh, time for some truth talk with Liberty Lovers Unite. I am your friendly neighborhood Jaybird. Behind the glass here with us is the man with the magic fingers, our producer, Eric. And I am Liberty Nat. So... We, we are here for you all, for your delectation, tickle your ears with some truth. Yes, we unite every Saturday from 2 to 5 p.m. in the Kiva 1600. So make sure that you've got your volume turned up on your app, on your radio, or rockatalk.tv. Because remember, you can hear us not just on 1600 AM KIVA, but also on 1490 KRSN, 107.1 FM in Santa Fe, Española, Los Alamos, and Taos. Also on abq.fm, rockatalk.com. Watch us on Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, rockatalk.tv, or on the app on your Android or your iPhone. And remember to subscribe to the chat. Support the station on rockoftalk.chat. And later on when we open up the phone lines, the number to call will be 505-266-1600. So welcome to day number 366 of America Under Siege. That's right. Yesterday was the anniversary of the induction of the puppet-in-chief into the White House. And, man, what a year it has been. I, can anyone actually say that we're better off than we were a year ago? That, that's the question right here, right now. Is can, can we honestly say, oh, yeah, we're better off in multiple ways? I'm sure there might be a few ways for a few people, but as a country... Look how far we've come down from where we were as a country a year ago. I don't think that that is something that anybody can deny. And if they do want to deny it, hey, okay, you're free to call in and disagree with us. We'll have some fun with that. Absolutely. Now, also, of course, we now are 467 20 or 467,026 Wu flu deaths on Biden's watch. Yes, that is way more than the Wu flu deaths under Trump's watch because, you know, the liberals liked to uh, keep track of Donald Trump's numbers. So we're definitely going to keep track of Biden's numbers for you all. And 22,193,000 vax deaths, according to the VAERS reporting system, as of January 14th. And, and I was looking at that earlier this morning, and I was thinking, you know what? Along with the VAX deaths, we need to include another number, miscarriages. There have been 3,692 miscarriages reported to the VAERS system associated with the COVID-19 vaccinations as of January 14th. And for anyone who wants to dispute that, even the Department of Health, our own U.S. Department of Health, has acknowledged for decades that the VAERS reporting system, sure, it's only accurate, but it's accurate for about 1% to 10% of actual numbers. So you can either multiply those numbers by 100 or you can multiply by 10. But yeah, you all do the math. How many deaths can we lay at the puppet-in-chief's door? Hmm... That's a good question. 
Well, we've got a packed show for you today, everybody. We've got some interesting things to look at. I'm sure you all have heard about mass formation psychosis. We're going to take a look at something about that today. Of course, our Constitution class, we've got the 21st Amendment, which is a unique one. Um, some liberty and losers, upcoming rallies, maybe even reports on some of the past rallies, call to action, and um, a few other interesting articles that we've dug up for you this week. So uh, anything you want to add on that there, Jaybird? No, no, I just um, I, uh, I want to tie in, tie it all together for everybody here um, just later uh, about um, the plan that um, the little Chihuahua in Santa Fe has because oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's always uh, got to bring it local. It's well, yeah, we need to look at this locally, but it's 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 evil. I mean, just straight up. I don't know any other word to use for it, but it, it is flat out evil. And she's taking a play right out of the communist uh, manifesto. manifesto. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that because um, this is something that um, everybody should be aware of and everybody um, should be disturbed by and we should be standing up against this. Absolutely. We'll, we'll address that. So we're going to dive into the Constitution class for today. We've got the 21st Amendment for you. And this, this is a unique one because it's the first amendment of its type. It's actually the only amendment of its type in the U.S. Constitution. So Section 1, the 18th article of the amendment to the Constitution of the United States is hereby repealed. And if you all remember your Constitution class from days of yore, the 18th amendment was what? Prohibition of... Alcohol sales, yes. So that is now repealed according to the 21st Amendment. Section 2. The transportation or importation into any state, territory, or possession of the United States for delivery or use therein of intoxicating liquors in violation of the laws thereof is hereby prohibited. Section 3. This article shall be inoperative unless it shall have been ratified as an amendment to the Constitution by conventions in the several states as provided in the Constitution within seven years from the date of the submission hereof to the states by the Congress. So this did this did two things. Um, number one, it repealed the 18th Amendment and basically said, okay, you know, we're, we're the government said we're we're going to allow you know we're going to take away the prohibition of alcohol across the board and alcohol sales can occur again. They, they can occur legally was the key. Because, of course, as we all know, speakeasies popped up, the black market, moonshine, you know, al- alcohol, uh, illegal alcohol was for sale. Stuff was coming across borders in spite of prohibition and the 18th Amendment. But the other thing that it did in Section 2 um, was that it, it, did, it did impart this little thing, you know, the transportation or importation into any state, territory, or possession in the U.S. for delivery or use therein of intoxicating liquors in violation of the laws thereof is hereby prohibited. So that, that clause there is key, in violation of the laws thereof. Meaning that if a state had a specific law, because keep in mind that in... Uh, take a look here when when exactly this was repealed, that when this was repealed, there were still some holdout states. 
There were still some states, some counties, you hear of them now as dry counties, and this was repealed in 1933, who liked prohibition of alcohol and liquor sales, and they wanted to keep it. But the majority of the nation kind of acknowledged that, you know what, this is a failed experiment. But to protect the sanctity of states' rights, they did have to include that little clause, you know, in violation of the laws thereof regarding any state, territory, or possession, that their laws still had to be upheld. So if a specific state or territory or possession had still outlawed alcohol, prohibition of uh, liquor sales, then that still stood in that state. So this was... This is also known as what we could call um, discrimination against interstate commerce. And in a series of decisions rendered shortly after it was ratified, the court established the proposition that states are competent, meaning they're more than able and willing and therefore should be allowed, or not interfered with anyway, to adopt legislation discriminating against imported intoxicating liquors in favor of those of domestic origin. So there was another side to this. Some states, they they didn't necessarily want to ban liquor, but they wanted to go ahead and prop up their own economies by banning the importation of liquor um, that was not made within the state itself. So the, the Supreme Court did go ahead and uphold that, okay, states have the right to do that that such discrimination offends neither the Commerce Clause of Article One nor the Equal Protection and Due Process Clauses of the 14th Amendment. Now, modern cases, they've kind of recognized that state regulation of alcohol is limited by the non-discrimination principle of the Commerce Clause, also known as the Dormant Commerce Clause. So, for example, um, eventually the court upheld a California statute that exacted a $500 annual license fee for the privilege of importing beer from other states and a $750 fee for the privilege of manufacturing beer in California. So court, courts have upheld different state rights regarding regarding alcohol sales. I know we've got some interesting alcohol um, sales. In, I don't know if you call it rules or regulations. There's definitely some of that too. But here in New Mexico, for example, there are certain types of beer and liquor that you just can't get because our Southwest distributors won't carry them or can't carry them, depending on state regulation. And uh, Jaybird actually knows more about that because you used to be in the business a long time ago. Well, yeah, but in all fairness, though, I, ma- I managed a warehouse. I wasn't into the uh, into the legality True. of of uh, the winemaking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I I can't really speak too much to that. I I, I, I wasn't involved in the legal side of it, but um, yeah, I mean, as far as is uh, taking alcohol state, across state lines, I, I can tell you, um, in, in one role working at one of the wineries. Um, there were certain states that we could uh, send wine to and certain states we couldn't mm-hmm. um, because um, they had frequently, I don't know, I, I don't know if you'd call them asinine, but um, <laughs> they, they did certainly come across that way, certain asinine uh, laws. Um, and, and, and it was always explained to me that the idea was to favor local wineries yes. in particular. 
And, and, the, and according to this amendment, the 21st Amendment, these states are allowed to favor local sales with their own liquor regulations or you know, liquor uh, intoxicating beverage regulations. So, and that's one of the reasons why we have a, a whole slew of that. I think, like for example, one place that New Mexico cannot send uh, any type of intoxicating beverage products to is, I believe, New York because of New York's laws. Right. You know, and that. what what I think is really fascinating about this is, um, you know, this is definitely an instance where um, the government um, was doing what they thought was best to protect us from ourselves. And that was not necessarily what what the citizens wanted. The citizens did not want that. Um, very, very, it was very clear. I mean, with the illegal industry that popped up, um, the revenue that was generated. Um, I mean, in fact, it, it back down in the South, you know, there were guys who were um, making a, a, a business. They made a business out of mm-hmm. illegally running, you know, moonshine and other things as well. But moonshine's the big one that, that you hear about down in the South. Um, it was pretty easy to make yeah, in the, the hills. Black so market and alcohol quickly yeah. grew. Uh, so what? What? Also, what we inability really... or unwillingness of local law enforcement agencies, or at every level, really, to stop illegal production and sale. That started cropping up, and that cr- started mm-hmm. creating problems as well. But yeah. So what we really have, we really have. Um, the government, they see an opportunity to make some money through taxation, and that's really, I think, where that came from. Yeah. So the, this was called, and I mentioned this earlier, a f- sort of a failed experiment. It's also been called a noble experiment, meaning that Congress meant to do good. Um, prohibition was intended to reduce the consumption of alcohol, lower alcoholism rate, ameliorate in some measure evils associated with drunkenness, alcohol addiction, and the hope of progressives at that time and others who supported the 18th Amendment, you know, it it seemed good, right? Who who wouldn't want less alcoholism? Who wouldn't want, um, you know, less people dying of alcohol poisoning, drunkenness, committing crimes, etc.? But the balance to that side is, and I think always has been, that it really is not government's place to legislate morality. And now some might argue that and say that, oh, well, you know, government does, or laws do nothing but legislate morality. Yes, but there's, there is a limit. There is a limit. Uh, We've also found this out with um, the tobacco industry, too. I mean, there was there was a time when it was talked about and people still push and lobby for outlawing tobacco products. Well, you can imagine how well that might go over. In fact, uh, do you think if do you think today the good thought experiment here, if the federal government decided we're going to outlaw tobacco, we've heard enough from the lobbyists to make this decision. Um, do you think that there there might be some push, not just pushback on that, but a black market might crop up? In fact, I think that's why we haven't outlawed tobacco products as it is, because we learned a lesson from prohibition. We learned a lesson from the 18th Amendment later appe- repealed with the 21st Amendment. Well, that there's there's a flip side. There's a flip side to every coin here, and when you try to when the government tries to reach too far and tell people 
you know, what they can or can't do beyond, beyond what infringes upon other people's rights. We can all agree murder. Yeah, that's bad. You take away someone's life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Okay. Yes, that's bad. But the government starts to get into this area where they overregulate and the tide kind of turns. And that's what happened with prohibition, popular opinion against turned against prohibition and actually in a relatively relatively short period of time the other thing too is prohibition turned out to be a great boon to who else organized criminals oh yeah anyone remember uh al capone yeah or uh, the mob the mafia organized crime that for their own reasons they loved it they loved it just as much as, uh, well, for example, Francis Willard's Women's Christian Temperance Union did, who were big proponents of dry counties and eventually a dry uh, union. But organized crime syndicates, they, they used their profits. They profited immensely from illegal liquor. In fact, they even started reaching into corrupt police, entire departments, which resulted in not just non-enforcement of prohibition laws, in some cases, but also selective enforcement in other cases, meaning that if, if a law enforcement, a single law enforcement official was willing to look the other way on prohibition, it was not a far step for them to look the other way on other things like, uh, oh yeah, gee, gun running, hmm, uh, crime, fraud, theft, and then add to this the feeling that the widespread flouting of prohibition laws was undermining respect for law in general, and then encouraging an attitude of contempt for rightful authority. And that, that's some of the reasons behind why the support for repealing prohibition grew. Because the thing is, when authority steps outside of its bounds... You know, for example, um, and, and I tell this to my kids all the time, my, my oldest daughter, I'm like, okay, you're the eldest child. Does that mean that you're the mommy? Does it mean that you're the daddy? Does that mean that you can, you know, necessarily tell your siblings what to do the same way mommy and daddy can? You've got some authority as the eldest, but whenever you step outside of the bounds of your own authority... What happens? And anyone out there who's had siblings, been an eldest or a younger child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You never, humans, never appreciate when someone who has no hold, no call to a higher level of authority tries to step into that higher level of authority and wield it over you. But, uh, you know, I got to disagree with you, going back just a little mm -hmm. bit. I, I think the the reason that... Um, they didn't prohibit cigarettes. Uh, I don't think it was quite as altruistic as, as you as you portrayed it. I really think it's more. I mean, well, the call me a pessimist. Call me a pessimist. Yeah, but look at the taxes on that. Look at how much those things are taxed. There's an in, insane amount of taxes on cigarettes, and so I don't see this as you know the the government learning a lesson and realizing oh we we can't go against the people because. Um, now, you, you can use this COVID thing as an example. 
If they think they can get away with going against the citizens, they will. Right. And they are trying. That's why I don't think that the cigarette thing was never uh, prohibited. I don't think they. I, well, I don't think that was the reason for them not prohibiting it. I think the reason they never prohibited it is because they're taxation. collecting millions of dollars in tax revenue actually, from that. That's perfect. That goes into the second section of this because while the first section is great, it repealed it. It did not, however, restore the status quo. Had it only been one section, the first section repealing the 18th Amendment outright, then we would have gone back to the status quo. But the second section is the one that referred to earlier, has been interpreted by the courts and others, basically is giving broad authority over the regulation of alcoholic beverages to the states and limiting the power of national government to intrude upon state alcohol beverage control policies. So states in turn can, in many cases, have delegated authority to counties, localities. So that's why the availability of alcohol beverages, prices, terms, conditions under which they can be obtained, whether a county is dry, if a state exercises a monopoly on the sales of wine and spirits, they vary substantially across the country, but they also have enabled something very interesting, and that is higher taxation rates. So this is often called um, sin tax. No, not S-Y-N-T-A-X, you know, how you say your phrase, the syntax of a phrase. No, sin tax. Taxation of vices is another way of putting it. And the government makes, both at the state and even the federal level, a lot of money by taxing things that are known to be vices. So while the intent of the 21st Amendment was good and that it repealed prohibition, it didn't, it, it didn't just repeal it. It still gave power to the governments, although albeit the state, more state and local rather than federal, it still retained power over regulation of this specific product. And you can debate whether that was good or not. Now, I think at the time there was some debate over whether they needed to give the power back to the states because otherwise the federal government might take it back again. Um, So some people were on the side of, you know what, let's just keep this a state thing. Some states say they want to have dry counties. Some counties want to be dry. Some states want just local sales. Let's just leave it up to the states. Now, there's another side of this, though, that says, well, if they had just repealed the 18th Amendment by itself, states, being states and sovereign, by the way, would still have exercised local discretion. So was it really necessary to put that second section in there? Yeah, not, not sure. And we may never know the outcome if it had gone a different way or if uh, prohibition had just been section one instead of, I mean, the repeal had just been section one instead of section two. But this is, this is one of the most unique amendments, again, in that even though our Constitution has been formally amended 27 total times, this 21st Amendment, it's the only one that repeals a previous amendment and... In addition, it's the only amendment which was ratified, and there's an interesting one in that section three, 
it was ratified not by the legislatures of the states, but by state ratifying conventions as called for by the amendment's third section. So in the Constitution, Article 4 allows for ratification by either method. This, this is almost tantamount to a convention of states, meaning the, these conventions weren't made up of your run-of-the-mill legislatures, the, leg- the representatives that people voted in, plus the senators, etc. No, this, this amendment was ratified by people who were specifically nominated to be part of this ratifying convention just for the purpose of voting on this amendment. In fact, Article 4 of the Constitution, or I'm sorry, Article 5, in the amendment process, I'm going to go back to that. Um, So Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary shall propose amendments to this Constitution or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states or by conventions in three-fourths thereof. As the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress. So this was, again, not the legislatures. This was convention of each state, a convention within each state, specifically just to vote on ratifying the 21st Amendment. It's the only time in our history that this has happened. And sadly, these days, I don't know if we'll ever see that again. I don't know that our Congress, as it stands right now, is willing to put that much power back in the hands of the people to amend our Constitution. Now, we've, we've had people working for, gosh, I think it's a couple decades now, on a convention of states, trying to get a convention of states together. Why? Well, for the purpose of term limits. You think Congress likes that? Yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, have yet to see any Congress member, Republican or Democrat, propose term limits in Congress, which is sad. If they're truly servants of the people, yeah, maybe, maybe they should voluntarily limit the duration of their potential power or the potential duration. Yeah, you know, we've talked about that before. <laughs> and everybody, I'm pretty sure if you've listened to the show, you know my stance on on uh, political science degrees and mm-hmm. politics as a career. I think it's wrong. should not be a career because then you become self-serving and then you serve your constituents less and less and less and you become more and more and more um, concerned with um, saving your own skin and your um, revenue uh, Particularly the revenue, right? Yeah, and that's and that's why that that's wrong. But you know, it's interesting um, because that you know John D. Rockefeller had had famously written a letter in regards to prohibition, and I want to read that real quick here. Um, and he said, "quote When when prohibition was introduced, I I hoped that it would be widely supported by public opinion, and the day would soon come when the 
evil effects of alcohol would be recognized. I have slowly and reluctantly come to believe that this has not been the result. Instead, drinking has generally increased. The speakeasy has replaced the saloon. A vast array of lawbreakers has appeared. Many of our best citizens have openly ignored prohibition. Respect for the law has been greatly lessened. And crime has increased to a level never seen before. Mm-hmm. End quote. Now, again, that was John, Ro- John D. Rockefeller, 1923. What I think is really fascinating about that is, you know, when, you, when we look at what's going on right now, um, especially locally here, and there's a lot of reasons for an increase in crime. Oh, yeah. But when, when the government steps in and starts suppressing the people, you eventually have, well, an increase in crime because people stop obeying your laws. And a decrease in respect of the government's authority. Exactly. And, the, and that's and th- what we saw in Prohibition, like you just read there, John D. Rockefeller. I mean, he's, that, was very, that was very big of him to acknowledge that. Do we, ha- do we have any politicians nowadays that, w- that would acknowledge, you know what, I think that the government has really overreached itself, and I used to I used to think we we're doing the right thing with mask mandates and vax mandates, but you know what? We've got to take a step back because we're actually bringing down the efficacy and authority of the government. That would be nice to hear from uh, from some of our people in politics. Would uh, you want to bet on that? I don't know. I definitely no, I wouldn't only, hold my breath on it. I think I can count on on one hand the number of, of politicians that would actually stand up and say that. And the ones that actually would say that are the ones who've been saying it and have been fighting the mandates the whole time. And the crazy thing is, um, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm certainly not going to say Kristen Cinema is a friend to all conservatives, but I'd say she's. She's the closest, as far as Democrats go, that we have to someone who's standing up saying, "Hey, you guys are you guys are overstepping your bounds here." Yes, and we're and and I'm not going to be part of this. Yeah, the principle here is that whenever government oversteps their authority, because remember the Constitution, we've said this before, the Constitution was not outlined to give the people rights. The Constitution was there to put the government in a box and to tell the government what it cannot do regarding states and regarding citizens. It was to tell the government, stay in your lane. And every time that the government gets out of its lane, out of its constitutional box, mayhem generally follows soon thereafter. And it didn't take long with prohibition um, I believe prohibition was passed. Let's see here. I think it was less than, less than a twenty-year gap. Yeah, because it was repealed in 1933, and it it was only it was only ratified in 1919. Fourteen years. That's all it took for the countries to start devolving into crime rates never seen before. But I think our government has forgotten that part of history because honestly that that's that's what's happening now mandates huh oh gee Uh, are mandates in the constitution yeah that would be a big fat no do governors have the ability to 
make up whole laws without consulting the legislature or without the legislature passing them first? N- another big fat no. What's going on now? Oh, yeah, does the president have the ability to sign executive orders that actually violate and cause other companies and divisions to v- mass violate or violate en masse citizens' basic human and medical rights? No, a president does not have the right to do that, period. Even if he thinks, even if there's a chance that said executive order might help or save people, violating the rights of the people is unconstitutional and has never been okay. It's never been, oh, we'll make an exception to the rule here. There are no exceptions in the Constitution. So we're once again, we're basically back where we were prior to 1933 before they repealed prohibition. And thank God back then our government realized the mess it had stepped into, that their, their power was basically soon going to be obsolete because they overreached it. Pray to God, and I am not saying that lightly, that enough of our officials in both our state and federal government realize that they have got to do the same thing today, now, and pull back. Otherwise, we may lose this entire country. Yeah, you know, it's really, it's crazy because um, not only do we not have a government that seems to say, all right, you know what? We think we screwed up, so we're going we're gonna to make this right now. Not only do we not have that, but we have these politicians, especially here in this state, um, and they have a D next to their name. They, they, they tend to um, just, they, they tend to mire themselves in crap, and then they just keep shoveling and digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And they never seem to realize, you know what, this isn't working. Let's try something, I don't know, that people want, right? Now, you know, recently um, Bill Ream introduced a, a, a bill to change some of this crap that the city of Albuquerque has oh, put our, us through. in our current yeah. Uh, legi- yeah. legislative session? Well, yeah, that, what he wants to see is, is a bill that now, because uh, let me back up just a little bit. Here in Albuquerque, you can go out to a store and apparently steal uh, less than $500, and it's only a misdemeanor. Less than 1000 Well, according to his, this bill, it's less than 500 Oh, okay. So he's trying to bring it back to where it was before. Well, no, no. He's What he's trying to do is uh, what he says, and, and, and I don't completely understand how he plans to achieve this, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but what he says is um, people are going to one store, stealing from one store, going to another store, stealing from there, basically on a quote-unquote shopping spree, if you will, just theft. So a stealing spree from one store to the next, to the next, to the next. And, the, and they're doing this all in the same day. Mm-hmm. But they do less than $500 per store, which um, falls under um, a misdemeanor. So um, APD and um, uh, the DA, they're not prosecuting. Uh, the, the police aren't allowed to arrest these people. And then the DA... Um, even if if APD was allowed to arrest these people, the DA isn't going to do anything other than say, uh, let them go, you know, turn them loose. We're not going to do anything. 
And so what Bill Ream's talking about doing is putting it all together. So if somebody goes to, let's say they go to Target and they steal $495 and then and they go to Kmart. Oh, I'm sorry, Kmart. They we don't, don't even have a Kmart anymore. anymore. in New Mexico. Um, but then they go to Best Buy and they steal less than $500, which good luck with that because they have, they're smart enough to have uh, cops there at the door. Good up on them. Um, but let's say you were to steal something from there and then you go to Walmart and you steal uh, $400 worth yeah. of stuff. Um, so you're now over a thousand dollars. Bill Reams, um, what, what he's proposing is that that the cumulative <laughs> amount is now um, um, held against you, which I yeah I agree. I, I well, first of all, I, I don't think we should allow criminals yeah, to steal stealing, in the first place. Period. It, five dollars. It, kind of ridiculous. Five dollars. Arrest them. I, I I don't I don't care if it's a five dollar thing. Arrest them. Um, so, so what now? Are we going to expect criminals to have a calculator and go, okay, I stole uh, over five hundred here, so my next stop I have to steal less than four hundred, or I'm over my thousand dollar quota? Well, no, we know <laughs> that's not going to happen because um, the the Albuquerque Public Schools doesn't teach people math, so um, <laughs> we know that they're not going to know that. That's that. There's no danger there. But the the problem is, it's just that we have to have a lawmaker stepping forward saying. Um, you let's guys have screwed this up. On the theft. Let's yeah, let's put a limit on the theft. Well, how about we do something like oh, I don't know, we employ more police officers, we get rid of this stupid DA that's in here now, and we put in a DA who's going to do his job and actually uphold existing law that says robbery and theft theft is a crime. Period. Boom. You There's can a novel go idea. Go to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 on your way there. Yeah. Um, that, that can, do you know how crazy that sounds, though? <laughs> I mean, it really does kind of sound crazy will now look at in the state. Go, what? That, how that's about, racist of you. How about we tell people that breaking the law is illegal? Oh, it's you not can't about do the that. amount. That's, no, that's it's, racist. It's not about the amount. It's about <laughs> you breaking the law, stupid. But it's racist. Oh yeah, and and we got to get people out of out of prisons, so we have to decriminalize and 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 yes, and and this is this is part of that. But yes. they want their votes, and that's what it is. You uh. go to jail, they set you free. Hey, you owe us. Vote for us. That's the play here, people. It's yeah. it's got nothing to do with public policy. It's not. It's got nothing to do with with um, equality and treating people fairly. The government doesn't care about that. The government doesn't have morals. If it doesn't have morals, how does it care about how people are treated? It doesn't. <clears throat> exactly. It's all about getting votes. And speaking speaking of crime and those who won't uphold the current laws in our state, much less in our city. Oh, yeah, guess who's finally acknowledging that New Mexico is at a tipping point with its crime crisis. Oh, oh wait, yeah. wait, I got this. I know. Oh, you know the answer? I bet it's Timmy Boy. It, yeah, it is. Mayor Killer himself. I guess he got really bored and couldn't find anything else to do. Possibly. There's no metal concerts coming through, so I guess he's got to actually do some work. Or he's just not up for election anymore, so who knows. Yeah, according to the mayor of Albuquerque, crime must be a top priority for lawmakers. Um, you mean crime, the subject that you wouldn't touch when you were running for re-election? Wait, 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 wait. I think I just figured it out. I just figured it out. Oh. Huh. I think crime has finally hit his neighborhood. 
Oh, maybe. I'd be willing to bet maybe crime is on the rise in his neighborhood and he doesn't want that. So now now it's time to do something. Well, according you to You want to him, talk about white privilege. Right. That little idiot's got it. Well, according to him, crime isn't just hurting Albuquerque, but the entire state. Crime is up in 20 counties around the state. So we do believe this is a statewide issue, Keller said. Oh, I see. So he's pawning this off on the governor. Oh, yeah, because who's up for re-election this term? Ah, governor. Yes. So, yeah, the, the city is showing its wish list to what lawmakers. Now, hang on. This is their crime or crime-fighting wish list. Tougher penalties for crimes with guns, regardless of the fact, actually, that there's an awful lot of crimes committed without guns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. C segment on robbery that we just did. Police (laughs) officer retention and recruitment. Huh. Well, maybe if we had never stopped in the first place. How about you you don't do defund the police? How about you fund fund the police? You give them a reason to stay. Oh, and this one gets me, too. Uh, You touched on this a few months back. Criminalizing chop shops. Now you can speak to this one and how ridiculous it is. In fact, Jaybird's got some, uh, you know, co- contacts in uh, the mechanic industry, and th- this one just kind of boggles my mind. What's the whole purpose to criminalizing chop shops again? What supposedly to dry up theft of automobiles? Well, okay, so the idea is. Okay, okay, on paper, let's put it that way. (laughs) The idea is to fight crime and reduce crime. But let's be honest with each other, everybody. It's lip service, and that's it. Yeah, so so the idea is that criminals only steal vehicles because chop shops exist that will chop up a vehicle and sell it for its parts. Illegally. here's the problem. It's already illegal. Yes. You're receiving stolen goods. You know you're receiving stolen goods. Mm -hmm. That's why you're chopping up the vehicle, and that's why you're sending out the parts or the vehicle with a different VIN to a different state or a different country. It's not because you, you think something's a little off. No, it's because you know it's illegal. You know you're breaking the law. You are breaking the law. Why do we need another law saying you're breaking the law? I don't really think... And I'd be willing to bet the farm that making another law saying chop shops are illegal, I don't think that's going to stop auto theft. And by the way, chop shops in and of themselves are not illegal, particularly since some people do actually bring their legally owned vehicles or vehicles that they've obtained from junkyards or side of the road, you know, the claimed because no one claimed them after however many days in the city, etc. Um, and they take them to chop shops, sell them for parts, and sell the scrap. Yeah, but what you're talking about is not a chop shop. What you're it's, talking about is just a scrap dealer yeah, or a, a garage. And chop that's, shop is really slang. It's just the vernacular. That's a whole, that's a whole different thing. I mean, exactly. that's it, it's it, sometimes it's the same people doing that. But that's sometimes they do legal business and sometimes they do illegal business as well. But the 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 main point here is that you don't fix crime by eliminating a middleman that helps you get rid of an illegally obtained product. That's right. not how you reduce crime. You reduce crime by, uh, oh, yeah, 
disincentivizing the criminals by saying, yeah, you're going to go to jail if you steal a freaking car. Well, you know, and one of the things that, and and, and um, I, I've talked to several law enforcement, I got friends who are, are active in, in former law enforcement, and I've talked to several people. One of the things, one of the tools that, that police use in order to help reduce crime, and, th- and it's really tricky because it, it, it's kind of, it, it's hard to prove, but it works. We know that it works. Um, one of the tools that police use um, is traffic stops. And the way that traffic stops are used is, let's say you've got um, a murder suspect and, and um, nobody can find him. The FBI doesn't know where he is. You know, the, the local police, they don't know where, they, where, the, where this dude is. But, you know, let's say there's a car driving and it rolls through a stop sign. Well, the car gets pulled over and guess what? Joe Murderer is in the passenger seat of that car. You just got the guy. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one. It, it, so, so this traffic stop thing, it really bothers me that APD is not allowed to make traffic stops now. Because this is one tool that police use in order to reduce crime indirectly. But that's been taken away. And we need to bring that back because not just that, but we've seen uh, just look at any of the, the the big three quote unquote news stations here, and you'll see um, there's increase there's clearly an increase in in traffic in traffic, uh, traffic crashes. I don't call them accidents because uh, many times it's some dummy running a red light because they're in a hurry. So that's not an accident. They didn't accidentally run the light. They chose to run the light. It's a motor vehicle crash, okay? But there's been a rise in that, and the 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 magnitude of them, the the violence of these crashes seems to have increased, where we're seeing more people seriously injured and killed in these accidents. And again, we we hire more law enforcement, we give them the tools to do the job, and part of the tools means you know we pay them adequ- adequately, and we also again get rid of that dumb DA that we have here, and we put somebody in there who's going to do his job and prosecute crime. Because yeah. part of the problem, as, as law enforcement, you, you find a guy, you arrest a guy, you see him on the street the next day. What does that say to the morale of the local law enforcement here? Well, why bother? Yeah, right? It disincentivizes law enforcement from picking up criminals for misdemeanors because they know that our system here in Albuquerque will not prosecute misdemeanors. But not and by just the way, that. folks, that, com- that comes from the mouths of several police officers themselves who are still active, still in the police force. And they have told us and some of our listeners, yeah, we, I'll sure I'll write up a, a report for you, but we can't really do anything because the DA won't prosecute misdemeanors. Well, because and, our and, chief and, has and told us. On the other side of that, though, the other side of that coin, the the criminals now know. Hey, if I get arrested, I'll just be out in a day. So who cares? Yeah. I got a place to sleep for the night. So yeah, what's to what's to stop them what's to stop them from committing crimes when they know well yeah, maybe I get arrested but tomorrow I'll be out no big deal yeah. who cares no I'm going to do it anyway No biggie like uh, oh yeah that thing that disappeared from the news cycle the uh Waukesha bail reform massacre mhm Oh we haven't forgotten about that one Oh you mean where the We haven't the, forgotten by the way there are still some children and grandmothers still in the hospital 
from that incident. Yeah, still. Yeah, but you're talking about the one where the SUV went crazy and ran yeah. over people, not the no. guy driving it, right? Oh, 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 yeah. The SUV yeah. totally yeah. should have been arrested in that case. Yeah, I know. Right. That's what that's what happens when criminals catch and release. They get brought in and they get released, even though they are a danger or a menace to society. Or, you know, in our case in Albuquerque, they never get arrested in the first place. And then they just go, you know, knock off another Target, another 7-Eleven, another Home Depot. Uh, we, we discussed actually an article, I think it was last month, about someone who finally got arrested for robberies in Albuquerque because they finally knocked off, knocked off a Home Depot, what, four too many times? And stole like, Don't what, two or, two or four thousand dollars too much this last fourth time? Something like that, yeah. Criminals are going to commit crime when it is easy for them to get away with it. And right now, frankly, Timmy Killer, you're making it too easy for our criminals to get away with crime. You know, oh, maybe maybe uh, maybe he should be appointed like head of TSA or something. Well, I, th- I think there's actually another whole point to him bringing up crime right now. And, and he said it at the at the end of this interview. Of course, we'll, we'll have the KOAT article. I'm actually kind of surprised that they put it in here. But we'll have the article in our notes. He said, the legislative session is only 30 days, which is true. We have a short session this year. Mayor Tim Keller says, if lawmakers can't pass crime legislation, he wants a special session called to address the crime crisis. So let's get this straight. This dummy, he makes it easy for criminals to break the law. In our city. As we've just discussed several ways. He's making it easy for criminals to break the law. He's doing that. And the city council, but... This the the buck stops with him in his office. He's making it easy for criminals to break the law, but he wants the legislature, the legislature to fix the problem. Mommy, I broke it. Fix it. Is that yeah. what we're at now? Is that what we have for a mayor? We have a little weasel who breaks things and then wants mommy to fix it. Pretty much. Well, here here's the discur- disturbing thing: is the governor, a governess, tiny tyrant. Matt, what was it Dowd likes to call her, the fat little chihuahua? Yeah, I, 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 I don't like that because I like chihuahuas, <laughs> oh, and it's an insult well, to chihuahuas. chihuahuas. like you, too. She's, she's, just a, she's just a dough head, I think. She's just, just there's yeah. nothing there. The well, brain's here, dead. here's the thing. She, she, has made, she has made some interesting comments about crime. What was that one article? I think we, I, I forget if we talked about it on air, where she said she wanted to... You know, address crime, make it harder for um, criminals to get out. I think we might have talked about this. Oh last yeah, week, last actually. we talked about it last yes. week because what she wants is, um, she wants criminal. Well, not not criminals. Let's step back a little bit. Um, she wants of crime. people who are accused of crimes to prove that they're not criminals. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we talked about this. We both agree, all, all of us here agree and the station, that there's a real crime problem here. So we're not yeah. denying that. But the Constitution mm. is very clear. Our Bill of Rights, there, it's very clear that we are innocent until proven guilty. So the burden of proof should fall on the DA. The state. And the, the state, the accuser, 
not the accused. And that's the big problem that I have with that. And the reason that's a problem for me, and I hope I don't even have to explain it to you guys, but I'm going to anyway, is. is because that will be used against us. Oh, yes. Now, those of us out there who refuse to be jabbed and get the poison from the, from the government and the people that want to kill us, those of us who refuse to get that poison, eventually this will come back and bite us in the butt, and it will be used against us if we don't stand up and we say no to this. If we allow this to go forward, it's going to get us. So here is the quote from Luhan Grisham herself, and again, this was from uh, an article from KOB Channel 4, actually from an interview that she did with Tessa Mentes. Um, who knows when she actually did the interview? It was pre-recorded. No, I said months, months, months prior. Months prior, yeah, months prior. But she said that we are going to introduce legislation, and I'm going to get it upstairs, and it's a rebuttable presumption in opposition. If you're a violent offender, you're staying in jail unless you can rebut the presumption of guilt is implied. So we're going to turn it over. No discretion. That's how it's going to be because without that clarity, it is clear that the other efforts we have made do not appear to be enough. I want more. So now instead of being presumed innocent until proven guilty, you have to rebut not just the accusation. She calls it, literally calls it twice, a presumption. You have to rebut a presumption of guilt. It's worse than being accused of being guilty. You are presumed guilty. You will be assumed to be guilty, and you, as the defender, have to rebut that. You know, I got this a novel idea. I've got a novel idea here. This is going to blow your mind. And I think, by the way, this is what Timmy Killer is feeding into. Yeah, by well, asking for potentially a special session. Right. Well, he doesn't have a, a an original thought in his brain other no, than he's metal. Yeah, that's he, that's about all that's the, go, that goes on to there. The governess and she's pulling his strings. But again. here's here's a novel idea, and and everybody, you better sit down for this because this is this is going to be crazy. How about we get rid of bail reform? Oh, what? How would that work? Now I know that's crazy. We get rid of bail reform. And then somebody actually has to post bail if they want to go free. I know it's crazy. But it does keep certain people from committing crimes. It is a deterrent. It is a deterrent. Because if you get arrested and there is a potential for you to have to sit in jail for any length of time, some people are going to think twice about breaking into that car, stealing that $500 TV. Some people will stop doing that. Not everyone, mind you, because, you know, you're always going to have that, uh, the, that lawbreaker out there. But yeah, I, th- I think that uh, Timmy Boy here is uh, feeding into and probably prepping us for a special session where they're going to focus just on crime, i.e. this legislation of the tiny tyrant, whereby they want to introduce presumption of guilt and make presumption of guilt the law of the land in New Mexico. And by the way, remember at the, at the end of this interview that she did with Tessa Mentes, she snuck something in there that we said last week that needs bears repeating everybody. New Mexico is hostile towards anyone who is 
violating our public safety requirements. Boom. Public safety requirements. Wait, wait. So there it is. Is that right is that there. the is that equivalent with criminal law? Yeah, that that right there. That's exactly what I was talking about. That's the connection that will be used against us if so we refuse to wear a mask. If we refuse to get vaccinated, they're going to come after us, and then we are going to have to prove that we are innocent. That we're not a danger to society. Moreover, right. that we're not a danger. We're going to have to the reduct, burden of proof. rebut a presumption yeah. that we're dangerous to society. 505-266-1600 to join the conversation in the Kiva. Remember, we love to have our listeners join us in every, t- every Saturday, 2 to 5 p.m. You, too, can get in on the conversation. But, yeah, I, I think that's what Timmy Boy's doing here. I totally think that's what he's doing. Well, and we yeah. need to really keep an eye on it, too, because this special session, oh, if it's man. about crime, we, you know they're going to slip some gun stuff in there somewhere. And at this point, I don't know what it is they're going to try and do, because um, I haven't seen anything um, slipping through the cracks um, as to what their plan is there. But don't kid yourselves, everybody. <laughs> There's going to be something in there where they're going to try again to whittle down our rights to, to bear arms. Yes. Yeah, they're they're oh, oh yeah, that was that was one of the things on Timmy Killer's wish list was you know higher penalties for crimes with guns. What do you want to bet that that's also going to mean higher penalties for gun ownership? Well, see, here's the problem with with higher penalties for gun crimes. A crime's already been committed. The law's been broken. Does it really matter if you murder someone with a gun or with a spoon? And you can murder someone with a spoon by the way. Right. It, it doesn't matter. What you have to do is in, enforce the laws that are already on the books. Again, I hate, to sound, like a bro- I hate to sound like a broken yeah. record here, but you get a DA in there who's going to prosecute crime. You murder somebody, guess what? You're going to sit and rot. You you're going to have somebody? your day in, You're going to have your day in, in court, and if you're found guilty, you're going to sit and rot, just like it should be. If you assault someone, if you injure someone during an assault, assault someone with a deadly weapon. By the way, I have no, no beef with the uh, assault with a deadly weapon um, laws, at least for the most part. Because, well, okay, that there have been cases where, uh, yeah, skateboard uh, has been construed as a deadly weapon, actually, very recently in some of the states where the DAs actually do try to prosecute, like, some of the rioters or Antifa people who brain people with the skateboard well at that point yeah that that one part of the skateboard where the wheels are attached to it you get hit upside the head with that thing oh you're yeah your brains can um leave your skull pretty quickly yeah that, i think and any, that has <laughs> been construed as a deadly whip weapon in some courts i think anybody who who says or thinks that ah it's just a skateboard it's not a weapon I want you to go on YouTube and have somebody hit you in the head with a skateboard and see how good that feels. Mm-hmm. Show the rest of the world that you're smarter than us. Yeah, yeah. It's like because you know what? You can use pretty much anything for a deadly weapon. doesn't matter if it's a skateboard. doesn't matter if it's a bicycle. You can use pretty much anything. So to argue that eh, it's just a skateboard, well, that's stupid. Now, among the other things also in... MLG's proposed legislation for rebuttable presumption, again, ensuring that those accused of murder, gun crimes, rape, sex crimes, et cetera, et cetera, do not pose a danger to the community. It, again, they're using, they're using uh, different words to basically say you're, you're presumed guilty instead of innocent. 
Um, but they also want to increase penalties for second-degree murder from 15 years to 18 years, removing the statute of limitations. Um, you know, that one I actually wouldn't so much mind if they were actually prosecuting people for murder. That, that, that's the other thing. Uh, increasing penalties for gun crimes, there it is, including the penalty for unlawful possession of a handgun from misdemeanor to fourth-degree felony. And then creating a crime of criminal threat as, as a fourth-degree felony. Now, this, this is the one that I have a great big question mark and uh, double underlined. Creating a crime of criminal threat? What exactly does that entail? I'm going to have to look up the legislation on this to see if it's ambiguous or if it's specific. Because if it's ambiguous... That's dangerous. See, here, here's the danger that I see in that. Um, somebody comes up to me, and my family's in the car, and they try to carjack my car. I break out my pointer of persuasion, I like to call it. It's a Glock 19. <laughs> but it's a pointer of persuasion. And let's say I point it at said carjacker, and he runs away. Well, he goes and tells the police that I threatened him with a gun. Mm-hmm. The big question here for me is, is that what they're talking about here? Because I'm not willing to bet. Uh, I'm not willing to bet my life, my freedom on this. I don't like that wording. That's dangerous wording. It's very vague. And knowing them and their, 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 their continue, continue, continued obsession with red flag laws, um, this cannot stand. Yeah, then and if this, it all it all depends on how specific they are and what it's for. But there actually is also another section in it about um, let's see here second degree felony uh, for I'm sorry third degree felony for fleeing law enforcement that results in injury second degree felony for fleeing that results in great bodily harm and what was the other one oh yeah enhancing penalties for brandishing a firearm in the commission of a drug transaction. This is one that I just look at and go, um, you know, drug transaction and illegally holding a firearm. Because let's just face it, people, uh, someone who's committing a drug transaction, are they really going to be the type of person who legally has a firearm in their CCW license? Really? Wait, um, so All so, of that is already illegal. So there's an assumption here that a drug dealer is going to go out on the street with a pocket full of cash, which is... It's it's illegal, right? It's not insured, of course, right? And a backpack full of meth, um, fentanyl, fentanyl, who knows knows what? All of the above. A a backpack full of that, pocket full of cash, and no gun. We're going to assume he's not going to have a gun with him. Mm -hmm. I mean, how about we just how about we lock him up for dealing drugs? How about that? We lock him up for dealing drugs. We make it a stiff penalty. And it's already illegal if he's caught if he's caught dealing drugs. The police search him. He has an illegal firearm on him. That is already illegal. But no, we we need to waste time in the legislature over um, uh, what, 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 how would how would you call this redundancies? We need to, they're going to build in more redundancies into our criminal. But code. see, here's here's part of the problem, and and I see um, I, I see their thinking in this. Um, of course, the you know the, the thinking is to go after guns here, and um, and and it's all it's all social conditioning, really. It's guns bad, guns bad, guns bad, yes. guns bad. Just 
beat that into your head and enough people are going to enough people are going to walk around the street like drone or like mindless zombies and, and you're just going to hear guns bad guns bad guns bad so it's social conditioning but the thing is the part of the problem here is okay you get caught with drugs um, the yeah. DA is not going to prosecute you're back out on the street okay well you do it again same thing again back out on the street mm-hmm. but if you get prosecuted you now have a record. Guess what? You can't legally own the gun. So now when anyway. the cops catch you and you do have a gun, we don't need another law for that because there's already one on the books. Yep. But it's it starts redundancy. with going back and actually prosecuting people for crime and not letting them go and repeat and repeat and repeat. Exactly. Now, for anyone who remembers New Mexico under Susana Martinez, for all the things that I disagreed with her with, and by the way, I disagreed over a lot of things that Susanna Martinez uh, was an advocate for, education being one of them. Common Core was horrible. Oh, good Lord. But one of the best things she didn't do, she didn't sign a lot of bills. She vetoed so much. I mean, it, it really angered the legislature. But she would look at things and go, what, this is redundant. We don't need this. No, no, we already have something on the books for this. No, I don't like this one part. Therefore, the whole thing's not going through. She vetoed so many bills, and she, she prevented so many redundancies from bloating our government and our regulatory system. Understand that every time a bill passes the legislature, it's not necessarily a good thing. It's not always all bad, but it's not always all good either. And every time another bill passes, every time another law is made, the size of government increases every single time. So, yes, we have a short session, and that's for a reason. Every other year we have a short session. Every other year starts with a longer session of 60 days. Um, but this short session, they're, watch, they're already preparing. Oh, yeah, we only have 30 days to get stuff done. But you know what? Crime's too important. Let's get a special session together just to address crime and public safety. And by the way, that's what they're calling uh, this bill that Michelle Lujan Grisham is pushing for to, quote, deal with the crime crisis in Albuquerque is they're calling it public safety legislation, not just crime legislation, public safety. Oh, gee, if the past uh, two years has taught us anything, what else falls under public safety, according to our tiny tyrant? Hmm. Well, she actually says she wants to hire um, up to a thousand more police officers. Yep. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. I thought you people wanted to get rid of the police. So Hmm. which is it? Do we need more police? Do we not need more police? The Democrats can't figure it out. They can't decide. They don't even know what color the sky is in their world. Yeah. And and not only only police. It's not just uh, crime, public safety that she has a plan for. Something else really concerning cropped up just a couple days ago, actually. This was posted on January 19th on KRQE, updated January 20th. State workers and National Guard have been asked by MLG, Tiny Tyrant herself, to fill the school gap. Say what? Yeah, MLG announced a statewide initiative on Wednesday that'll provide support for schools by encouraging state workers and National Guard members 
to volunteer to become licensed pre-K teachers or child care workers in an effort to keep doors open for in-person learning and child care. So, now there is a provision in here Mm -hmm. that says the school can decide whether the National Guardsman comes in uniform or not. Yes. But... Here we are again. There's that that phrase, social conditioning. It's called the Supporting Teachers and Families Initiative, staff. Yeah. <clears throat> so what they are doing is they want to put military-trained, military personnel in the kindergarten, in the pre-K for our little kids. So they're used to seeing military uniforms. Now, why would they want that? Ask yourself for a minute, why would they want that? Why would our kids need to be conditioned to be used to seeing men in uniforms? Yeah. Yeah, now now they claim, she claims, of course, that parents and educators are going through a constant state of whiplash. Our entire country is facing incredible staffing shortages. Oh, gee, I wonder why that is. We don't want to be in a situation where schools aren't engaged fully in in-person learning. Now, understand that while they're starting this staff initiative in pre-K or child care, do you really think that that's where it's going to stop? You think? No, no. No, and this is just where it starts. And the crazy thing is, there's a reason that so many teachers don't want to be in the classroom. They're afraid. Why are they afraid? Because the governor says that COVID is going to kill you. Yeah, well, they they even said here, we don't have substitutes for normal things teachers have. Like, oh, yeah, getting sick, appointments, sick kids. Oh, yeah, because maybe because we've spent two years uh, giving people a complex about being sick. Right. Getting sick. And we've uh, blamed children for being germy little creatures who pass on all these germs and and the covid. And even though even though it's been already already been proven in dozens and dozens of studies that kids and covid are not an issue. They're not the issue. In fact, transmission rate among children is extremely low. And by the way, especially if you compare it to other things like RSV, flu, other, you know, rhinositis, other common colds, etc. Um, transmission of COVID among children is almost nil compared to adults and older adults. But no, no, every, everyone thinks, oh no, kids equal germs. So that's one of the reasons behind staffing shortages. So staff it, initiative is being put out there as a solution to staffing shortages. We're going to come up with a lot more substitute teachers. It's going to start in pre-K and, and daycare or child care. And, of course, you know, they, they're going to volunteer to become licensed pre-K teachers. Now, since this came out on Wednesday, I've been talking to pretty much every licensed teacher and educator that I, that I can get a hold of and asking them, um, you know, what, what they think of this or about this, because there's, there's this very interesting, very, very interesting part of this whole staff initiative. First off, there's an online application that's being set up for those who are interested in providing substitute 
support in child care programs. But moreover, the application fee to become licensed has been waived until March because they're hoping to, you know, encourage people to step up and help, especially from the National Guard. And, And I find it interesting that actually looking at this article now that I just pulled up, ooh, the timeline is missing. Well, okay. well, she's saying that um, it shouldn't take more than two days to pass a background check and get everybody uh-huh. trained. <clears throat> so, and, two days. And that basically your license should be... So the original article um, said that the license should be obtained in about, a, what, a week to be a substitute teacher for these things? So every teacher that I've spoken to, every educator, <clears throat> has kind of looked at me when I've told them that and gone, wait, What? Obtaining an educator's license in that short amount of time, what? That's not right. That's not what, that's not what current educators have had to go through. Uh, cur- and by the way, current educators have had to pay for their licensing. They've had to pay for their entire education, had to go to college for a lot of it. Um, but they're, they're, they are making, they're setting this up to where they can fast track everyone into these positions that volunteers. And I believe the National Guard said they have, I think last I looked, they said it was, it, they're, they're prospecting at least 80 people potentially. Um, now, well, they're, now they're saying about 800 to 900 substitute teachers and National Guard and workers from the state will make up likely the bulk of these. Now, uh, and here's the thing, it's, it's starting with pre-K and child care workers. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, if you're a teacher, um, but you've got some, you know, you've got a three-year-old, um, one of these, the National Guardsmen will, uh, could possibly be the person taking care of your child while you're at work. So it's not, we're, we're not getting into first, second, third, fourth grade and up, not yet. 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 But this is the thing, again, it's... This is it's, the first stepping stone. It goes in fits and starts. We lose little by little. And that's that's what this is. I mean, you... You, 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 we've all heard the saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite, One at, bite a time. at a time. Yeah. So this is the same thing. But the, the, it, this is absolute nonsense because there, there's, a, there's so much wrong with this. But now for the National Guardsmen, the deal is they're going to get paid, but they're not going to get paid through a separate fund. There's not a separate uh, yeah, endowment. She's not, re- she's not redoing the budget for this. There's, there, she already got slapped on the wrist for it, right. by the way. She's not redoing the budget. You go as a National Guardsman and you get paid your your military dues to do this. So if that's the case, is this a military action? Exactly. You're being paid by a military organization. Is this a military action? This yeah, is against our children. Consi- they're going to be considered, the National Guard is going to be considered active duty. And while there is a little bit of wiggle worm here, just because National Guard can do things that are of service to the community while they're on active duty, again, it, it still begs the question, it, is this a necessary service that only military members can provide? And that, and that's the main thing here. It's very specifically, now I know they're also opening it up to state workers. Uh, But here's the other thing, you know, people aren't working. 
why not open this up? They're still going to do have to do background checks because it's child care. Why not open this up first to people in the community who are unemployed? Well, that's funny that you say that because here, right here... And the and National this is the, Guardsmen are technically employed. This is the KRQE article, and they end it, this very last sentence. This is the funniest part of it all. And there's nothing really funny about this, but this is the most laughable part. And, quote... The state said they hope this will also encourage private citizens to step up to help, end quote. Okay, so let's, let's just get this straight. For, for well, uh, almost, what is it, two, two years, years now? Almost, yeah. For two years now, you've told people, stay home. Don't, don't work even go, don't work. Essential. Don't work. Don't go see your family. Stay home because you're all going to die if you go out and you do anything. You've conditioned people for two years to believe this garbage. And now you want them to step up and help when there's holes in our education department? I, I don't see how you rationalize that. Well, there's also another side to it as well. <clears throat> it's, it's also that what do you think the chances are that the National Guard members are more than likely going to cave into their VAX mandate? more so than private citizens at this point. I still know quite a few teachers who are you know, still doing the, what they call vax or test to stay, and they've opted to do the tests rather than take a vaccine. So part of this also might be to push a vaccine. And just begging the question here, um, if, as we have postulated before, it is part of the Tiny Tyrant's nefarious plan to push childhood vaccinations which right now are what five years old and up oh yeah does does that possibly cover some pre-k yeah some kids are in pre-k at <clears throat> at five kindergarten at five too well that doesn't cover some parts of europe mm -hmm. um they've well, wised up to this if, if it's part of their plan here in new mexico to try to force the vaccination of children and force a mandate how much easier is that going to be if you have a military force in the schools already that is already vaccinated? Just asking. Just asking. And I know there's a lot of parents out there that this would be of interest to and of great concern. And you know what? If it doesn't concern you, good for you. You can sleep and rest easy at night regardless of whether there's a possibility that your parental, stri uh, parental rights might be stripped and violated and your child violated with a medical procedure without your permission. That's, that's what w uh, really concerns us. Yes, we have been look trying to look ahead into this since, what, early last year. We, we knew the governess was going to make a bid for controlling our children, even more so than through school lockdowns and, and you know, keeping kids home from school. Hey, even Dr. Disgrace said, well, we're, we're doing it to modify the parents' behavior, even though kids don't pose a great risk. He, right. Dr. Disgrace, said that himself at the end of 2020. Right. And himself. We're, we're at a point where we really, we, it's, it, it, it's kind of terrible, but we really need to have a long memory here because you got to tie things together. Like you just said, Dr. Disgrace said, we need to modify parents' behavior. Mm -hmm. Well, how mm. else are you going to modify? I mean, what is the easiest way to modify a, a person's behavior, a parent's behavior, than to threaten their child? Exactly. 
There are many people out there, I know many people who you could threaten them all day long, and you're not going to get what you want. But And I'm not advocating any of this, of course. I think anybody that does anything like this is evil and um, deserves anything that comes their way. But that same person, once their child is threatened, it's a whole other ballgame, baby. Yep. And some, by the way, some will cave, some will not. Yeah. And remember, 505-266-1600 to call into the Kiva, join the conversation. This affects all of you who have kids in pre-K right now and kids in child care because according to Lujan's administration, uh, these substitute teachers, these, vo- quote, volunteers, could be in classes as early as next week. Yeah. As early as next week. This isn't something she's pushing past the legislature. This isn't something that she needs to get anyone else to sign off on. In fact, she's already got PEDs full support. According to the public education secretary, Kurt Steinhaus, this is state government at its best. And we are ready to step up to support our teachers who've been on the front lines of the pandemic for nearly two years now by increasing the state's pool of substitute teachers. So, yeah, PED has sold out our children. <laughs> wait, wait, starting... wait, wait, no, no, no. You say that like, like they oh, yeah, just did really that. That's not, this no, is not new. they sold out our children again. They're allowing the governor to do this. And by the way, it is actually questionable whether she has the right to do this, although in this case, it was really a matter of getting, you know, several different departments, moving parts, including the National Guard, to just simply agree to it. But the government is about to have yet another arm and more further reach into our schools, starting with the youngest children. Do you think it's an accident that it's the youngest of our children that are going to start being conditioned to seeing military in their education facilities? Nothing they do is an accident. No. And this, this is beyond concerning, folks. I know there's going to be some of you out there who are like, no, no, it's, it, it's all for good cause. It's because there really is a teacher shortage, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I can tell you the teachers I've been talking to about this, they're getting worried, too. And they don't like this. And, yeah, but making sure that the licensing process only takes a few days, eh, that does, that, I, I can tell you right now, that's not sitting well with some educators. Yeah, you know, and the, the big problem that I have, uh, man, I, I, there's a lot of problems with this. But, of course, you know, the big problem that I have for this is that, um, again, going back to, you know, what I said a few minutes ago, one way to manipulate somebody, one of the best ways, easiest ways to manipulate somebody is to threaten their children. And this is not, this is not an innocent thing, people. This is not innocent. This is not Mm. to help us out. It's a huge red flag. This is more government control. And I know, I I grew up in a a state a little ways away from here, and I had a, a boss one time, um, really good guy. His mother was from Germany, so you probably know where I'm going with this. And some of you may tune out and think it's all high, hyperbole. Um, and if you're that person, please go away. Because what had happened 
is and and I talked to my boss. It, it was his mom. She was still alive. I knew her, and, and and so I got a chance to really talk with her. And one day I sat down with her um, because I wanted to know. She grew up in Nazi Germany. She was a child, and she told me a story about one time how her father joined the Nazi Party. He didn't join because he wanted to. He didn't join because he thought it was the right thing to do. In fact, he thought it was the wrong thing to do. He thought they were evil. In fact, he but held out. Came, he held out for a long time. Yeah, he held out, but they mm-hmm. came to his door, and they said, if you do not join, we will not take you. We will take your wife and your children, and we will leave you here. So what did he do? He did the only thing that he thought he could do to protect his family at that time, and he joined the Nazi party. So this is, this is not just an innocent thing, people, to help us out. But this is, there, there is a far darker picture here that we really need to, to look at. This is, not, this is not a good thing. You know, you've heard us talk about it. You've heard Eddie talk about it. You've heard Dow talk about it. Be, beyond the fact that the education system in our city, in our state, is beyond crumbling. I mean, in Albuquerque, yeah, it, what, APS is one of the biggest school districts in the entire nation. It's a huge money sink, and yet we constantly have lowest testing scores, highest crime, etc. Beyond all of that, if you care about the future of your children, if you care for the, your, the minds of your children, the development of their young minds, please consider pulling them out of public education at the very least please and if your pre-k school your child's pre-k school or child care are one of the schools that is caving into this and deciding yeah we're going to go ahead and accept substitute teachers from the national guard and by the way i have nothing against the national guard i have family members in the national guard i have nothing against our men and women in uniform what we have what we have here though is a misuse of the institution of our men and women in uniform and placing them in schools and if your child goes to one of the schools that is going to be accepting military into the schools as substitute teachers please pull them out Put them somewhere else if you can't. Homeschool them if you can, if you want help with homeschooling. You know, we're we're going to actually try to have a, one of our homeschooling guests on again, I believe, in February because yeah, we've got we've got some interesting things coming up for this session at the Capitol, including a CAPE at the Capitol, Christian Association of Parent Educators. Yeah, they've they've had a long-standing, basically, a CAPE at the Capitol, a day for homeschoolers to come and gather, not just to be at the Capitol, but also to hear legislation, to talk to their legislatures, to get to know their legislatures. And this year, of course, we can't go inside the Roundhouse unless you provide a handy-dandy little proof of vaccination, right? Well, Cape at the Capitol, homeschoolers are still going to be gathering up there, and if need be, just going to protest outside, um, maybe send in some information packets to our legislatures by proxy, but they're, they're still going to be out there. Homeschoolers and homeschooling in this state is still moving forward. We are still going to make our voices heard. And I have to say, homeschoolers in this state have been on the front lines of making sure that the government doesn't overstep its bounds 
any more than it already has in regards to education. And for those of you out there who might say, oh, well, you're a homeschooler. You have no dog in this hunt. You don't send your kids to school. Excuse us for caring about children other than our own. Well, and try that again because we do pay taxes here. Yeah, our taxes do go to this stuff. So, so we have know. a say. Yeah, we whether ha- you we like have it or a not. Say, and it should concern everybody that our children are being manipulated and may be used as tools in the future to manipulate every single parent in this city or in this state. It should be everybody's concern. What is it they like to say about raising children? It takes a village. Well, shouldn't be the shouldn't the village then be concerned if the kids are going to be used as a tool to manipulate the entire village? Hmm? You, you think that logic might just might work both ways? Yeah. Yeah. So if if you have any questions or you got, if, if any of you are considering homeschooling, you can certainly um, email. Uh, me or or Nat, and we can get you connected to great resources for that. You can Um, always email me at libertynat at protonmail.com. And, of course, Jaybird, yours is always a fun one. It is nopollcheating at protonmail.com, and that's exactly like it sounds, N-O-P-O-L-L-C-H-E-A-T-I-N-G. At ProtonMail.com. No That's poll right. cheating at ProtonMail.com. So if you, if you all have experiences, and, and we do have people that email us with their experiences, and sometimes we relate those on the air when we have your permission. Um, we have people who relay experiences to us in from work, from schools, from their kids' schools, etc. So if you have an experience that you that's related to some of the stuff we've been talking about, feel free to send it our way. And if you would like for us to speak about it on air, make sure that you include that in the email as well so that so that we know that we have the freedom to include it. And of course, we keep the names of our listeners private. Don't ever want to put that out there because, you know, left be a little crazy about doxing sometimes. But yeah, Liberty Nat at protonmail.com or no poll cheating at protonmail.com those those are our addresses remember 505-266-1600 to join the conversation in the kiva you too can get in on some of this freedom speak because you know it's not it's not just us yeah we've got a lot to say but we know our listeners have a lot to say as well and we we always love hearing hearing from you guys you know i think we should go back just a little bit here um on the special session that's coming up. Yes. Um, you know, because Michelle Lujan Gruesome, this is, uh, I, I don't even know what she's getting paid for. When I look at what she's doing for this state, um, I, I honestly cannot come up with a good reason you why she's doing being paid. doing to the state? Well, I know what she's doing to the state, but she should be <laughs> doing for the state, not to the state. Yeah. Well, tell you what, but, before we get to that, we're going to go ahead and take a caller, because I know there's one on the line right now. Caller, you are on the line with Liberty Nat and Jaybird. Who do we have? You got Charles. Hey, Charles. How's it going? It's going really well today. I'm looking at the National Guard as uh, substitute teachers a little differently than you are. Okay. What and I got? really hate to say it out loud because they might see the error in their ways. Oh. But I, being a veteran, I would say that at least 80% of the military are conservative. 
I would not disagree with that. And, and like I said earlier, I don't have anything in the, against the National Guard's members themselves. It's right. uh, them being but used. But what I'm getting at is if we can stop this uh, indoctrination of liberalism at an early age, mm-hmm. maybe that's a good thing. Well, but what guarantee would there be that these substitute teachers, and keep in mind they're both state workers and National Guards men and women at this point. Um, right. My, my understanding is they're just being licensed for now for the purpose of pre-K and child care. So they're not full-on educators. And do we really think that they might be there to change some of the curriculum or what the kids are learning from the curriculum in the first place? It, it it's a sticky it's a sticky thing, um, and again, right. our ta- I, I see what I see what you're saying. Yeah, go ahead. Hello. Oh, yeah. oh, I lost you for a second. No, go ahead. Okay, it's it's like you said, it's a sticky situation. Uh, it could be good or bad, mm-hmm. and we don't really know. But I would much rather see a military member teaching my children than some ponytailed up hipster that thinks socialism is the right way to go. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think Eric might take exception to the ponytail remark. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think Charles is referring to like the ponytail crowd that, that Dowd refers to frequently oh, yes. from Santa Fe, those type yeah, of ponytail those, crowd. Uh, yeah, now yeah. That's, that's, an interesting, uh, that's an interesting thought, and I, and I, I genuinely hope that, that you're right. I really do, that but could be but an I'm looking at side but I'm looking at who's going to be training these folks to go in and work with the kids, and that mm-hmm. that's not offering me a whole lot of hope that the, the National Guard's going in there to try and protect our children from this indoctrination. Um, so I, I don't know. We we'll, we're going to have to see what happens at this point, but. Yeah, I, I just I, I don't have a whole lot of hope that that's that's the case. Yeah, and and not that that couldn't happen on an individual one-off basis, but the the big pic, the big picture for all of this again is that our children are going to be socially conditioned and used to seeing and accepting the military as part of their classroom experience. And depending on who's wielding and who's telling the military what to do, where to go, and what vax they have to get, that that can have really concerning ramifications down line. Really right. concerning. So and that's, being a veteran myself, everybody has this mis- misconception of the military is blindly following their superiors. And granted, right. they're not. No, we're not. If I was told not by one of, of my higher-ranking officers, and I refuse to say superior, mm-hmm. something <laughs> that I figured was illegal or immoral, I could tell him where to put it with no repercussions. Right. Right. You know, there's, there's, definitely, there's definitely people in the military who are pushing back. Um, I've got family members in several branches of military. Now, unfortunately... A lot of people are being pushed out of the military that are freedom-minded, that are the thinkers. And we've, see, we've seen this happening now in healthcare. We've seen this happening in law enforcement. 
and it's happening right. in each branch of the military, where because of these draconian, illegal, unconstitutional mandates, good people are being pushed out of these areas. And, and it's, that is uh, very sad. And it's unfortunately leaving behind, not all of them are leaving, some of them I still know are holding out somehow, you know, hanging on by their toenails. Um, and I wish and I wish them luck with that. And especially with the stuff that came out in the Supreme Court this past week, I, I hope things ease up. But by and large, a huge percentage of conservatives who are freedom minded and the critical thinkers have left various military branches because they will not subject themselves and rightly so to being medical experiments. And w- but what that leaves behind, unfortunately, are those that aren't as apt to think critically, don't see freedom in the Constitution the same way that many conservatives do. Right. And my fear is that with the balance being tipped, and, and honestly, some, some conspiracy theorists <laughs> um, <laughs> might say, oh, this was the plan all along to tip the balance in law enforcement, health care, across the board, the military. So that way now it's quite possible that the military is going to shift to being not so conservative anymore. Whether that was the plan or not, I don't know. But it is definitely now not just a possibility. It's happening and that Which is so- back to what I've been saying for a long time. It's the new world order, the great mm-hmm. reset. Yep. Dehumanize, decriminalize, and destabilize. Yes. And unfortunately, we're seeing it unfold. We're seeing it happen in front of our very eyes. And now it's potentially even going to impact our kids in another way. Right. Yeah, because I, th- I think it would be safe to assume here that uh, that. Going into the classroom, uh, any of these National Guardsmen are going to be, they're going to have the jab. They're going to have the poison flowing through their veins. Mm-hmm. I think it's safe to assume that because um, that, that is the expectation. Um, and, and I say expectation because it's not a law. No, But not the a expectation law. that some people believe is law, that if they're going to be employed as teachers, they have to, they have, to have the jab. And so... Um, I, I mean, I really, I really want to believe that there, there's a glimmer of hope there, and I hate to be pessimistic, but I'm just not holding my breath for that because I'm, I'm looking at the whole situation here. They're going into a situation where those people who've actually put in the time to become the teachers and the caretakers of the children, um, the, the expectation is they have the jab. So I, 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 it, it wouldn't make sense for me um, that. The National Guardsmen going in there would ha- would would be uh, an exception to that rule. And it's really sad that the military has come to that, where they will not let their service members make the medical decisions for themselves, right. like the rest of the country, the rest of the free world has. Yeah, and and I and I've 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 commented on this, and I, I've made this statement before. But you know, let's say I'm a business owner, um, or I'm a general. And and I'm I'm the commander of of thousands and thousands of soldiers. Um, to hedge my bets, I would go ahead and let I would let them let anybody make the decision because I I to me it seems dangerous to go ahead and say everybody gets the jab or you're out because what happens if everybody gets the jab and they start dying off? 
Yeah, and especially in this case, this is unique. It's no secret that most military servicemen and women have to take a certain amount of vaccines and shots. I mean, I've got family who had to do that, who hadn't had shots when they were younger. Suddenly they had to take a whole slew of them when they entered the military. Okay, that's not uncommon. Yeah, these weren't things that were developed in, in no, six these, weeks. Exactly. This, this, however, falls under medical experimentation, even right. though there's emergency authorized use our military men and women, again, this goes back to their medical rights, which we've been talking about for months as well. They have the right to be to refuse to subject their bodies to be part of an me- ongoing medical experiment, which is what this currently is. It's not just, oh, they, they're required to get chickenpox vaccines, so COVID vaccine should fall under the same thing. No. Uh, chickenpox vaccine has been out for decades upon decades. I think maybe almost uh, approaching a century almost Yeah, longer now. than I've been alive, certainly. So that, that's the efficacy, et cetera, the studies, the testing, all that is there. None of that is there for this COVID vaccine. And the, therefore, the military should have the right to refuse it. And unfortunately, that's why um, a lot of people have left the military. <laughs> brings up another point i went through the line i got all the shots Mm -hmm. when i first joined right doing some reading on it and research i found out within the last three weeks that i had the right to refuse those vaccinations exactly and Mm -hmm. i didn't know that they don't tell you that you've got the right to refuse them right right they don't tell you it's in the fine print right Right. Yeah. Ignorance yeah. of the law is no uh, exception. Exactly. No, I, I've, I've got, again, another family member who didn't realize that till afterwards. And to say that he was kind of teed off was an understatement because uh, he, he went I through a rough time for a while. Irritated. I went yeah. in in 87 and I just found this out in 2022 Ooh. that I had the right to refuse. Wow. So, Charles, let me let me ask you, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but let, let's say... You had taken one of the vaccines um, when you went in in 87, and you had an adverse reaction. Um, would the military at that point then take care of you? Let's say it was it was debilitating enough that um, you were no longer able to serve in the military capacity. Um, no. Would they? No, they would not take care of you. Mm. You have to do, when I went in in 87, you had to do 180 days of continuous active service to be considered a veteran. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. So basically, so, if you were not physically get, able to fulfill that term, they would drop you. Right. Yeah. And so if you get hurt due to uh, negligence on the military's part or accident or uh, a uh, pre-existing condition, without that 180 days of continuous active duty, you are not a veteran. So if you're a veteran, let's say, and you and you'd served 100 more than 180 days, and you and you took this this jab, and there's an adverse reaction, and you were disabled. So the VA is going to take care of you at that point, I would assume. Do you know? Do you know what what their stance is on that as far as the the jab? I would have to contact a, a veteran service agency mm-hmm. to find out that. Specifically, but to me, yeah. it sounds like the, uh, the VA would take care of you if it was a, a disabling condition. Well, and the, the other thing, too, is these days getting a physician 
who is willing to link a disabling condition to vaccine adverse reaction, that that's a whole other thing. Because there are physicians, unfortunately, and I know some people who've had anywhere from mild to extreme adverse reactions, and their physicians are not reporting it as such. Right. They're trying to pass it off as other things. And we've had listeners even call in with cases like that, where, yeah, someone is severely injured after getting their booster shot, and the doctor refuses to acknowledge that it was caused by the vaccine. So Sounds like I need to go to medical school and take care of the people <laughs> that screwed up and got the, the jab. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it seems there's a picture that's becoming clearer in my head here now, and, it, and it, it's all starting to make sense now why, um, why there's been a push to get rid of uh, critical thinking generals um, and admirals and, and leadership from the Pentagon, it's it's becoming very, very clearer to me now why they're getting rid of those that are thinking critically and, and thinking for themselves um, because yeah, now you get now you get the yes men in there. And if the any of these if any career. of these things are happening to the military, you're not going to allow any military physicians in the VA to come forward with it. You're going to shut that down. Whereas I, I think, you know, I, I think even leadership from 10 years ago, if something were to come up, um, I, I think there would be a likelihood that the truth would eventually come out and there would be some investigation into it. But now looking at the, the leadership that they have coming in there and that are answering to the White House, um, I don't have any confidence that that would be the case now. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, thank and you. Unfortunately, I have no confidence in our military leadership yeah. right now, as well. And it's it's a sad thing to say that we are losing confidence, and and it's weird because we started off the show. I don't know if you heard earlier talking about the Twenty First Amendment, a time in our country when the government realized it was losing the respect and confidence of the people, and thankfully right. at that time they took steps to repeal that and they they took steps to step back in a fashion from their overstepping of their authority but we find ourselves back there only now it is so much worse than it was in 1933 right and our government is showing no signs right now of wanting to step back and say okay we were wrong we're hands off now if only they would but of course it, all signs point towards nope. They're gonna. They are. Uh, was it MLG says? I want more. I want more. And uh, speaking of the Napoleona, mm. <laughs> uh, yes, I was in a company, uh, a generator uh, company down on Edith by uh, Montgomery, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they wouldn't mind me mentioning Power Generation Service. Ah. Uh, I picked up some parts, and as I'm walking out, I turn in on the counter. He has a stack full of bumper stickers, which I grabbed some. It says, Ditch the Witch, Turn Mexico Red. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I know what and I want to put on the back of our van now. Di- right up, right under, let's go, Brandon, Ditch the Witch. <laughs> right, and nobody in there was wearing masks. I That's was awesome. so impressed. That's awesome. And what was the name of it again? Power Generation Service. Cool, cool. It just starts with an S. Well, there, there you go. There, there's our Liberty winner, Liberty business winner for the week, folks. 
Yeah, make sure you right. throw some business their way. Um, they're they're standing up for freedom in their own way. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Charles. Always a pleasure to talk with you, even though we don't really have that many conspiracies to go over anymore. Too bad. Well, uh, <laughs> everything has come true. Exactly. exactly. But I always find a way to bring it back to the New World Order and the Great Reset. Mm -hmm. And those aren't conspiracies anymore. They really aren't. It's And it's starting, uh, it's starting to get highlighted, actually, just to touch on it. What was it? Politico and some fact checkers, I think earlier this week, have been going crazy over trying to debunk this Great Reset thing as, as just a wild conspiracy theory, which, of course, everyone out there in our listening audience knows means, ah, we're on to something. It's probably truer than they're saying. Yeah. The liberals last week even admitted to the Great Reset. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, m many times. Oh, man, man, over the past two years... A lot of world leaders have been using great reset language. Oh, including what's his what's his name up in uh, Oh Justin Trudeau up in Canada. Yeah, him too. Oh, that's idiot. I mean that guy. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> right. Oh, thank you so much, Charles. Gotta go. But thank thanks again, and definitely we'll talk to you again next week. Definitely, and I look forward to it. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you. you so much. Bye. Now remember, 505-266-1600 to call into the Kiva. We're going to actually take a short music break right now. And then when we come back, we're going to have some more on, of course, MLG, our own Napoleonita, and also the Supreme Court's recent rulings on the OSHA mandates and, of course, Biden himself. So definitely stay tuned. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes.
some Jack White for you there, ladies and gentlemen. And before that, we had Jem with actually one of my favorite songs of hers called They. That's right. It's all about what they say, what they want you to do. We, th- we do what they say without thinking about it. That's right. That's right. And, of course, MLG would like to pass a lot more legislation in the upcoming session that would result in government having a say in what we do, what we think. Ooh, what we learn. Hmm, yeah. What, what are some of the things that she wants to pass now? Uh, one of the things that she's expecting to be passed, um, it's falling under education, of course, but she wants to establish what she's calling a media academy. And the idea is to train people um, to work in media, meaning film, television, you know, Movies. Movies. You know, things like that. You know, places where you get TV shows and movies. Um, Okay. But here's the problem. She's wasting our time with this. CNN already has a program in place to teach... To, 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 to provide you with the skills to work in the movie industry. And the connections to get you internships, opportunities with the filmmakers in the, in the industry. Exactly. Here. And I can tell you, I can tell you personally, I, I, I took the classes. That's the place you want to be. There are people there who actually work in the industry and know people. And if you're going to get places in the industry, you really do need to know people. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it sounds almost contrived, but it, it is very, very true. It's who you know. And there are people that work at Teach at CNM who are in the industry. And yes. they know people in the industry as a result. So this is just another thing. Look, I mean, all MLG is trying to do is she's trying to make it look like she's doing something for the state. She's trying to make it look like she deserves to be where she is. And that's just simply not true. She doesn't do anything for the state. She does everything to the state, to us. And the, there's no reason for her to be there. Mm. No, there's Period. really not. So uh, remember, she's up for re-election this year. Let's vote her out. Ditch the witch. Uh, we used to say, you know, impeach MLG. Well, you can impeach her this year by voting against her. Yeah. Easy way to do it this year. We don't even have to petition the Senate or the legislature for it this time. Right. And here's here's another one. There's another one that we need to talk about, too, just <clears> briefly. Oh um, reaching net zero by 2050. Oh. Um, and this is this is directly from her website, governor.state.nm.us. And then there's a bunch of other stuff after that that will take you to this. Um, and we'll, we'll have a link for you. But reaching net zero by 2050, the Clean Future Act will establish the governor's ambitious climate goals to stat, uh, in statute, ensuring that the state continues its progress across administrations. The legislation also directs the Environment, Depar- and Environment Department to implement further regulations to curb emissions across sectors. Okay, so what do you think that means, everybody? Well, that means that, um, well, Green New Deal, three words, Green New Deal. That's mm-hmm. what that means. Can we afford that? Well, I don't know. Let's see. Are we, if we shut down oil and gas, which is where we get most of our money here in New Mexico, what money do we have to funnel billions into clean new energy? And I'm not saying we shouldn't we shouldn't look at these things and th- and and we shouldn't allow stuff to progress. But this needs to be a natural progression, and it needs to be market-driven. It should not, and it should, it should not ever be government-driven. The government says 
you will have electric cars by 2050. You will not have coal by 2050. Mm-hmm. Again, these are the, we're 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 looking at people who for all intents and purposes, many of them have never held real jobs. Why are you allowing them to tell us how to do our jobs? Exactly. How why are we allowing them to change our lives which affects the jobs that we do? that changes the jobs that we do. And by the way, affecting the balance of energy and the jobs around energy in this state, who do you think it affects the most? By and large, a lot of the jobs in oil and in natural gas in this state are held by Hispanics or Native American Indians. Right, and there's more. And they have been hard, and hard hit. The next by point, the, the next point, really comes into play uh, with what you're talking about here, and it's, it's setting a clean fuel standard. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, uh, lest there be any doubt, Michelle Lujan Grusom, she's trying to be California, um, but setting a uh, clean fuel standard. So the Clean Fuel Standard Act, um, she says, is is set to reduce the carbon footprint uh, by New Mexicans in the transportation sector. Um, But here's the deal. The way she wants to uh, accomplish that is by taking off, and and this is is on her website, taking over 570,000 gas-powered cars off the road for one year. So if you don't have a gas car that you can use, what do you have to use? You have to use an electric car. Or public transportation. Or public transportation. Or bicycle. Now, at, 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 at this point in time, how many of you would feel safe on a bus riding down Central? <clears throat> and also keep in mind, how many people do we have in this state? We have, what, 2.1, almost 2.2 million? I, I believe that's pretty close to the number, yeah. 570,000 gas-powered cars off the road for one year. That's a quarter of our population. Right. <clears throat> and how many of you out there can afford a fancy electric car? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... I can't even afford a fancy new gas car. What are we talking about here? I can only afford well, bottom-of-the-barrel oh, yeah. used. Yeah. So, okay, but here's uh, here's another problem, okay? So the, the electric car thing, the electric car thing, it keeps coming up. Um Many of the electric cars, let's just say Tesla, for instance, you know they're they're cool. I think I think it I think uh, I would love to have one just to make it a, a dragster and to race on a drag strip because the electric cars on the drag strip are really really cool. As far as driving it daily, eh, not so much. But here's here's the thing: many of these electric cars, you're going to have to set up a, a station, an electric station in your home, in order to charge them for this to be um, practical for you. Now, if you live in an apartment, you're going to rely on that apartment complex setting up charging stations all over the place so that you can charge your vehicle. Well, that's not outside the realm of possibility. Let's face it. Sometimes it's really hard to get an apartment management company to fix a broken water heater, let alone set up a grid for you to charge an electric car by 2050. Yeah. So we need to look at this practically. Is this feasible? And if it is feasible, is it good for New Mexicans? Not just all New Mexicans, but even just some New Mexicans. And if it's only good for some and not for others, then don't the others have the right to opt out and to keep our gas clunkers 
fine, thank you. Which, by the way, that this whole thing about zero emissions, etc., it it's bunk. Talk talk to a scientist who knows about heat and energy transfer. Talk to any engineer who understands how energy works, and they will tell you that zero emissions is impossible. Why? Because whenever there is energy, when it, whenever a f- source of fuel is consumed to create the exchange that results in energy for the purpose of doing work, there is always some type of waste. Always. E- even with the most efficient fuel to energy sources, which, by the way, nuclear power is one of those. Hmm. Wonder why we're not uh, looking into nuclear power. Because, you know, that, that stuff, oh my gosh, you, you want to talk about clean? That compared to coal, coal, compared even to solar and wind, and the amount of waste that, yes, solar cell batteries produce, which is extremely toxic, by the way, or that, uh, those, you know, those uh, little wind propellers, those windmills, uh, you know that those propellers are special, co- made of specially composite materials that cannot be recycled and have to be put in the dump. Oh my gosh, those suckers are huge. Yeah, compared to all that nuclear energy, has an extremely small ratio of energy output to waste. Extremely small. Hmm. Why aren't we looking into that again? Well, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you why we're not looking into that because um, nuclear power plants uh, aren't made in China. Oh, yeah, that's right. But solar power cells are, and so are the components for most of the windmills. Hmm. Right. And there's also, there's also um, um, some rare earth minerals that come from places, and, and China has hmm. some of those. So oh, there's some other, things that have to come location. from there. Yeah, but guess what other location actually has some of those rare earth minerals that aren't being mined? Where? New Mexico. That's interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. Hmm. And, and, and we're not mining. Oh, gosh. You guys, you've heard Eddie talk about it for years now. New Mexico here. We should not be the bottom of the United States barrel. We should not. In so many ways, we should be at the top of the heap. What is it? Just in the past, what, decade? I think less than a decade, we've discovered that our oil reserves might be bigger or at least rivaling Alaska's. We have an amazing amount of land and natural resources. Yeah. Our poor should not be the poorest of the poor in this nation. Right. And, uh, and right here, and this is from um, energysage.com, um, where they're talking about solar panels in particular. You know, American-made versus imported panel costs. Mm-hmm. American-made solar panels generally cost from $0.50 cents to $0.80 cents per watt. And that's about 10 to 30 cents more per watt than imported panels. So naturally, a company is going to look at that and go with the cheapest, which is imported. From where? China. Yeah, by and large. So, you know, the only way that this is going to work is more government intervention, more taxation. Why? Well, because if we're going to make this work... Then the government's going to have to have to subsidize American-made panels, and I'm not I'm not I'm not d- dogging American-made anything. I love American-made stuff. I try to buy that anytime that I can afford it. I absolutely will buy American-made stuff over the imported stuff. 
But what's going to happen is our taxes are going to have to be increased because now there's going to have to be um, the uh, government subsidies in order to get people to pay more for panels that they could get from a cheaper source. So yeah. this is again we we need to just we need to look at the big picture here. This isn't a simple. It's not simple. Um, one-time deal. There's a whole set of dominoes here that are lined up, and you you got to really look at that. You know what is the path from here? So she gets this 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 green new deal by 2050. Well, she gets that passed. What's the next step? Well, obviously the next step would be to shut down coal and ga- the the coal and gas industry because mm-hmm. she thinks they're evil people. Now she should just look in a mirror and she if she wants to see evil and she'll <laughs> see it right there. But that's the next step. And then what's after that? And then after that, yeah. where do we go from here? The government is never going to stop trying to interfere in our lives until we push it out and say no more, no Thank you. 505-266-1600 to join the conversation in the Kiva. Caller, you're on with the Liberty Lovers. Who do we have? Dictionary Dave. Dave, what have you got for us today, sir? Well, right along the line of what you all have been talking about, I was looking up some definitions, but let's break this Green New Deal thing down to stupid simple. Yes, please. Food. Mm-hmm. On average, it takes five gallons of diesel to cultivate one acre of land to produce enough food to sustain very few people. Ooh. Now, what are we going to do with all those tractors? We mm. can't power them by batteries. Mm-hmm. Batteries would die in a heartbeat. Those batteries are made of rare earth minerals. How, yeah. how is that going to happen? And they, also, the old, in, the old equipment can't be converted. Say again? The old equipment, uh, the old diesel equipment, it can't be converted to electric. Well, not with that, not without huge overhead. Well, you, costs. you can, but the amount that it takes to do that is is that it's almost astronomical. It, yeah, it's out it's, of the you range get diminishing for, returns for most at that farmers. Point. Right, I'd have to have like ten acres of solar panels to charge one tractor to use for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. That doesn't do us any good, and if we end up with the idea that okay, well. All the farming has to go over to electric or horses. Yep. You'll see a collapse in population like you've never seen before because there is not going to be any food. Back to the dark ages. Exactly. Well, I think you you hit it right on the head. Who are the people that are pushing the Green New Deal? Who's behind that? These are the same people that just a few years ago were saying that the the world, the, the planet is overpopulated. Right. Yeah, they're also the ones pushing the the vax to supposedly save everybody. Hmm. Wonder, wonder why no one finds that suspicious. Interesting. So yeah, uh, good. Good point there, Dave. That uh, what was it you said? Five gallons of diesel. To cultivate one acre. One acre, which can feed how many people? Not enough. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. I'm working a couple acres here, and I can't feed this throughout the year. Yeah. And I'm utilizing every square foot that I can. And it takes a lot of uh, gas and diesel to cultivate the ground, all this so-called zero carbon. Okay, food is based on carbon. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I do everything I can to try to put in all the carbonized waste that I can into the ground to help feed the ground so that we'll actually have something to harvest. Mm -hmm. And all those those elites... 
kind of like the AOC going and saying we need to get rid of cows while she's gnawing down on a cheeseburger. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, hey. Easy there. She might think you want to date her. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, but where does all that come from? Because if there is no food being produced or it's so minimal that the population collapses, all those people who think they are above everyone else, where is their food coming from? You know, that's, that's, that's just it. I mean, I, we both used to be involved with a winery um, here in the state that unfortunately um, is, is no more. pretty much no more um, in existence uh, because yeah. of a, trage- a tragedy. But the vintner, I, I love this guy. He was an amazing guy. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with him one time about um, beef in particular because um, I noticed he didn't have a whole lot of beef in his diet. And he told me that um, he would not buy beef from a grocery store um, because one of the reasons was the way that animals were treated. Um, now he would eat the beef if he knew where it was from, and yeah, he knew he it was knew the farm. he knew he knew the farm, and he knew that the animals were being treated um, with respect. And you're right that it's there's not many people left that think that way. The uh, Nancy Pelosi's of the world, she doesn't care where her burgers come from, and she doesn't want to think about it. She just wants one of her servants to put that burger on the plate so she can chow down so she has the energy to spout more lies. And there's just there's far too many um, quote-unquote progressives who live their life that way. They don't know where any of this stuff comes from. They don't know... They, like, if they had to survive on their own, they would absolutely die within a month. Right. Most school kids don't even really know where milk comes from uh, or eggs. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, I found that out about 15 years ago. There was an interesting study I was reading. said, yeah, the majority of school kids think that milk comes from the grocery store. They don't realize it comes from a cow. Like, oh, wow, that's, um, that is a little bit disturbing that we are that... Out of touch with where our food supply, where our necessities come from. And, and I can't, couldn't help but thinking, even back then, <clears throat> even before I had kids, that it couldn't be a good thing for society, for an gener- upcoming generation, to be out of touch with basic necessities. There was a thing I ended up mentioning when I was doing uh, classes at UNM in uh, 18 and 19. These kids didn't seem to realize their college age mm-hmm. where food comes from. It doesn't just magically appear at the store. No. You want an avocado in the middle of winter, where is it coming from? Mm-hmm. How many miles are on that? Yeah. And, yeah. and and the economics of it, too. It's like what it takes to get from something to get from farm to your table it's it's more than just trading a few dollars. Oh, yes. These kids, they were just totally kind of taken aback, and they were like, uh, I never thought of that. <laughs> like, yeah, would you like to be eating dandelions out of your parents' front yard for the rest of your life? Right. Yeah. That's well, dandelion or, ca- or out here in the desert, cacti. <laughs> yeah, but you know, dandelion wine and, and uh, prickly pear wine, are, those are both actually pretty good. <laughs> oh, but it takes a oh, long time to make them. It does. It does take a while. 
Nancy Pelosi would be uh, hard pressed for uh, her vodka if uh, it had to be zero emissions because all that fermentation. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I love that. Yeah, there's no such thing as zero emission alcohol. <laughs> yeah, and you know, knowing her, she's probably getting the imported stuff. So. Speaking of the repeal of prohibition today. <laughs> right, and she's probably going through a 175 bottle every day. Whoo! At the very least. Yeah, but, you know, least. if you if you lived in San Francisco, wouldn't you too <laughs> at this point? She lives in the best part of San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding? She hasn't walked down the street. She's got a limo, I'm pretty sure. She's got a driver. Oh, yeah. she, I'm sure she's got an armored vehicle. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Anything else you got for us? A couple us? of years ago. Ooh, you know what? Somebody had... Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. Oh, there was that stunt a couple of years ago where somebody was taking the illegal aliens and homeless people and dropping them outside of her moated vineyard. That's right. Whoa. I'd forgotten about that. She wasn't too happy, if I recall correctly. Hmm. No. But, no, you know, it was Maxine Waters. Uh, Maxine Waters is never happy. I, I, I think she's just in a constant state of angry. Um, you know, there, that's a woman that needs anger management for sure. Talk about but someone with you know, a propensity for, uh, violence. You know what I just thought about though? Maybe electric okay. cars are the way to go. Maybe we really should be pushing for that because how do you, how do you, how do you electrify an armored vehicle? Cause you're mm. adding weight. Now there's, there's mm. some recent composites that don't add more than two or 300 pounds, but. Some of them, I mean, if you're gonna, if you're really gonna do it right, it's it can be a couple, it can be several hundred pounds in addition to the vehicle, which is more weight that the batteries have to deal with, contend oh, with, and less yeah, space the for the batteries. Oh yeah, the weight to energy ratio. So you know, maybe maybe to uh, get the elites to pull their head out of the sand, maybe Make electric vehicles are vehicles. the way to go because <laughs> would they really be able to have the armored vehicles that they have now? Yeah, they're just going to tax us Then more. again, we know what will happen. We'll have to drive electric vehicles and they'll get exceptions, just like what happened in Washington with Obamacare. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to mm-hmm. have it, but they, they weren't required to have it. They still do. They still get government-subsidized health care. Still, to this day. The interesting thing is, is uh, petroleum has been part of humanity since before written history. Mm-hmm. Ever since the advent of a wheel, there's been the need to put some sort of lubrication in on the axle in the uh, friction surface. That's true. That now, if true. you don't have grease in your bearings, your bearings don't last very long. Oh, are they are they trying to co-opt history? Oh yeah, of course they are. Of course, mm-hmm. they they would the left would always love to uh, change history. What is it that that part of the Great Reset that says, um, yeah, we need to start from year zero? That's that's another part of the whole Great Reset thing is is restarting history. Wait, so start from year zero mm-hmm. um, at a time where. Cavemen had caves, and to take a wife, they hit her on the head with a stick and then dragged her into the cave by her hair. That's what they want. No, no, they actually want us to forget anything that else that came before. Oh, wait, wait, want what, to what history are they history. feeding us now? Yeah. No, they don't want to have to feed us history. They want to reset, clean slate is the idea, and just go forward from here into a bright and shiny, new, perfect one-world order, pretty much. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for calling. Always appreciate your input, sir. And thank you for putting the uh, 
Green New Deal into terms of food production for us. That's I love that perspective. Remember, 505-266-1600 to join the conversation in the Kiva. Let's go ahead and take another call. Caller, you are on with Liberty and Adam Jaybird. Who do we have? Uh, David Olson, and, uh, a.k.a. David Olson 333 <laughs> on the Internet. How are you today, sir? I'm doing all right. And what you got for us today? You to come up on that. Um, the uh, things that I heard on your program today, you were talking about uh, earlier, you said uh, Torres uh, won't prosecute mis- misdemeanors. However, mm-hmm. you can look at my court record at uh, nmcourts.gov. Oh, that's right. David uh, B., as in Brent, Olson, O-L-S-O-N, 1964. Uh, you can find on there that uh, Raul Torres uh, uh, pro- uh, prosecuted me for about three years continuously until I defeated him. That's right. He'll four selectively. Mis- four different misdemeanors that they uh, unlawfully wrote me up on over at the UNM for calling into their radio station call-in program. So and, and wasn't that because his wife was also there, too? Yeah, Raul Torres is, uh, to my knowledge, married to Nasha Torres. Uh-huh. And Nasha Torres, uh, to my knowledge, at least at that time, was, uh, presumably still is, the dean of students at the University of New Mexico, which makes her the chief disciplinarian yeah, um, at the university for things that are both criminal and non-criminal. So basically, and so even if you are not, you know, anything that happens on their mm-hmm. campus, like calling into a phone that happens to be located on their campus, uh-huh. uh, they claim that as their jurisdiction. Dollars. And then, that, and uh, since you brought that up, that uh, that Raul is married to Nasha, let me once again publicize in the legal sense of the word, as in uh, notice, public, legal, uh, actual, constructive legal notice to. The citizens of the state of New Mexico, David Olson, alleges Raul and Nasha Torres are violating some combination of uh, ethics, morals, laws um, regarding uh, anti-nepotism, mm-hmm. anti-conflict of interest, when Raul Torres is the chief prosecutor in Bernalillo County, yep. and Nasha Torres is the chief, basically, prosecutor um, for the University of New Mexico, they kind of have a monopoly on uh, uh, decisions as to whether or not to prosecute somebody for crimes or non-crime violations. Oh, wow. so it's all that in the family. To... It's all in the yeah. Torres family. So, well, so okay, <clears throat> we stand corrected. Apparently, our current DA will prosecute misdemeanors, but only if uh, you happen to be related to him to get him to, you know, go after a, a misdemeanor case. Or maybe, you know, in case it's um, politically uh, advantageous to him. Now, do you know, David, if Torres is going to be running again for DA? I heard a rumor he might be running for attorney general of the state. Yeah, I, I don't know. The, the way to answer that uh, from my end of it would be that uh, everything I hear is that he likely wants to, uh, at some point, run for governor. And so how many times he runs for DA again prior to running for governor or not, I don't know. But one would presume that he'll continue to run for DA until if and when he runs for uh, governor. 
Um, and I don't think in Albuquerque <clears throat> anyway that we have term limits on our DAs. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I doubt it. Terry uh, um, Brandenburg was there for quite a few years, right. so there must not be a a term limit. I'm not uh, uh, implicating Carrie Brandenburg in, in anything. I'm just using her as an example. I yeah. believe she was there for, mm. for uh, I don't know, was it 13 years or yeah, something? Yeah, I know, in that it, was over, I I know, know. it was over 10 for sure. Yeah, yeah. and um, you also were talking about, uh, oh, and, and let me, let me well, you know, to be perfectly clear, when we say nepotism with Raul Torres and Nasha Torres, those two sleep together. They're in bed, literally, literally in bed together yeah. every night. Same thing. If you want to know what uh, conflict of interest, uh, nepotism, uh, incestuous, uh, quote-unquote, uh, behavior, uh, in, uh, allegations in government, if you want to know what that looks like, these two literally sleep together. And so they can discuss in bed, mm-hmm. in bed, they can discuss uh, people like you and me and mm-hmm. how and what they're going to do regarding any specific prosecution. I think that that uh, is... Um, decidedly on its face, to use another legal term, uh, less desirable than having two people who are not having sex in yeah. bed together while discussing at liberty you and me. Yeah, and I don't, I don't do remember that Pardon? relationship coming up during Raul Torres's initial election when, when he was first elected. I don't remember, um, you know, who his wife was and where she worked coming up at all during that election. Maybe it did, maybe I'm wrong, but if it did come up, it sure wasn't hyped. You know, these days the media will hype well, things that they want to underscore. Well, if you're talking about Nasha, she worked, she was, she was counsel for UNM for, before becoming dean oh, of yeah. students. So, um, she's, she's got a law degree. She's got a degree apparently in business administration and human mm-hmm. resources. Um, so, I mean, she's been working law. I, I don't know if she ever worked with her husband, but she's, She's certainly worked for UNM in a legal capacity. For quite a yeah. while. Well, yeah. by, by definition, I would argue, once again, in the legal se- sense of the word, um, meaning I would claim it in court, uh, that by definition, since they have sex together in their marital bed and wherever else, that yeah. the, they, the by definition, work together not to, this, to this very moment. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, get, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, their legal interests should not cross because of their personal relationship, which anywhere else um, usually would be the standard. But, of course, you know, this is New Mexico. This is Albuquerque, where for some reason nepotism reigns. Well, real quick yeah. here, David, what was the second point you wanted to get to? Well, there, there was more than a second, but uh, okay. to, uh, to, to add a, another point, um, the... Uh, you you had also been talking about uh, bail uh, reform. Yes. And the only law that is required, that is necessary, because it fully suffices, is the one or two sentences, whatever it is, in the uh, U.S. Constitution regarding excessive bail should not be required. Mm-hmm. That one sentence says it all. Because what that one sentence does, if anybody who in New Mexico would like to uh, utilize fact plus logical deduction. You can throw in reason, which is the same as logical deduction, basically. But the the fact that it is stated excessive bail should not be required mm-hmm. in the Constitution, it, what it means is that, one, you are allowed to 
uh, assign bail to somebody. Uh, two, by definition, it says there is discretion. Mm-hmm. And three, it says that it cannot be excessive. And so, therefore, using math, that means bail can be from zero to infinity, uh, utilizing the, the logic that I threw in there. Therefore, no other law is needed on the subject, especially in light of the fact that the law that they claim to have uh, previously had and then altered and then now are considering altering again, um, none of that law does anything uh, beneficial that the existing one sentence already does. And the, the, and once again, bail is, bail is not, as per the Constitution, not something that is automatic. Ba- no. Bail is to do what? It's to ensure that you show up for court. So mm. if it can be determined by uh, examining you in court that, you know, this guy has a job, he's got a family, he's got a house, he's got a bank account, he doesn't have a history of not showing up for yeah. court, he didn't, his crime is not alleged uh, to have been uh, dangerous or violent, mm-hmm. That's why it's uh, and we don't have any evidence to show that he intends to flee the charges, then bail is off the, is off the table. Right. There is no bail. You're released on your own recognizance. And then if you fail to show up, then you, you would be uh, charged with, with, with bail. So that, that's all covered. You don't need any yeah. uh, lower law whatsoever on the subject of bail. It's completely, nope. the, the Constitution is completely self-contained and covers every single possible yeah it was uh, the that that goes back to the eighth amendment excessive bail should not be required nor excessive fines imposed nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted that's why there's that discretion and, and it is like you said it's still left to the discretion of the judge but it is discretionary and like you said it could be zero to infinity sometimes it's zero sometimes it's a large amount depending on the judge's discretion now we we all we've always known that bail reform is um, uh, it's a tool for manipulation of our court system in a specific way and specifically to uh, basically lean on judges to get criminals to go free earlier or easier, one could say. So, yeah, uh, unfor- and unfortunately, the, the purpose for the bail reform laws is not to make us safer. It's to skew justice before you even get to a trial that's why it's so despicable we have time for one more point here david before we got to move on here so what you got for us yeah well and and on that same point though you you one of the questions that or the main question actually Mm -hmm. was the the burden of proof Uh, and the the burden of proof is already explained in the u.s constitution no further clarification is needed and also as I cited uh, Judge M. Monica Zamora situation where the New Mexico Court of Appeals unanimously, three judges on my side, zero on the side of M. Monica Zamora, saying that she uh, illegally trafficked my children when she, uh, quote-unquote, uh, specifically, mm-hmm. um, applied the burden of proof exactly backwards. And that's just one proof amongst many that the your government here in the state of New Mexico uh, can't even follow most basic laws. It's it's the most one of the most basic things in the court system as to which direction to apply 
the burden of proof, you know, exactly. i.e. guilty until proven innocent. It's perfectly clear that which way the burden is to be applied. And you're, you're, and here I give one example of how your uh, judges, uh, in the case of uh, M. Monica Zamora, can, cannot even get the most basic law correct and exactly 100% opposite direction uh, apply the burden of proof backwards. And so, and that is the key question on apparently uh, as to the current uh, suggested reforms to the statutory level of uh, law on on the bail question, uh, the rebuttable presumption spoken of by by MLG. Um, and um, uh, but the other point that I was going to say is that your your you your government has trained you, conditioned you, programmed you, indoctrinated you, brainwashed you over the last two hundred years to believe that you are electing monarchs um, yes. as opposed to electing uh, representatives. Mm-hmm. And, and, as, uh, and I, once again, you can use math to prove that because we're supposed to be electing representatives, uh, whether they're an executive or a legislator or a judge, they represent mm-hmm. us. It's a representative government. Yet, yet when we uh, elect one of those people or all of those people, they they seem to behave as if once that they've gotten elected, they're allowed to exercise their own will and not the will of the citizens generalized, which once again mathematically proves that they're in violation of the system. Well, and I think I think everyone can see that MLG definitely believes that she's some kind of monarch. Hence, we call her the tiny tyrant, Napoleonita, uh, yeah, all, all, all such other derogatory names. Why? Because, oh, yeah, she is usurping authority that was never given to her by the Constitution or by the people. Well, thank you so much for calling in today, David. We always appreciate hearing from you, and you always, always have these yep. well-constructed thoughts. So we will, we've got to get to a few more things now, but we'll definitely catch you next week. And speaking of the court system, by the way, everybody, of course, we had to touch today on the blockbuster news coming out of the federal courts yesterday. Yes, the federal court actually blocked Biden's vaccine mandate for federal workers. So not only has the court blocked the mandate for the companies, for corporations, companies, private companies, etc., to mandate vaccines for their workers. Now they've blocked the federal mandate for federal workers. Thank you, Lord, that this happened. Um, it's, it's not necessarily a complete victory. Of course, the U.S. Justice Department indicated they're going to appeal, of course. Um, but with just over a week between these two court decisions, first that private companies cannot mandate you know, these jabs for their employees, and now that the federal government can't mandate it for their federal workers. And thankfully, some some companies like Starbucks, they've already dropped the vaccine or test requirement. Unfortunately, others like United Airlines are still resolved that they're going to keep it their, you know, company policy for internal vaccine policy. Yeah. Well, ju- just over... Um, the weekend too. also a uh, workwear company, Carhartt, they also faced conservative outcry for reiterating that they're going to stick to their company policy mandating vaccines for their employees. You know, pretty rich because, you know, that company, uh, they're you know, sustained by what? Ranchers, well, farmers, Carhartt, okay. laborers? Carhartt 
first of all, Carhartts are, are just too stupid expensive. Yes. Which means a couple of things. The only people that can afford them are people who actually work for a living. Yeah. And, you know, these... these um, Usually and, and it's, more than 40 hours Obviously, a week. it's not limited to, but, you know, mechanics, construction workers, farmers. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of people to buy Carhartt because the stuff is durable. Um, at least it used to be really, you know, you know, quality made stuff. Don't know if it is anymore. Uh, I can't afford any of the stuff, but, but it, it's, it's a lot like the company Yeti that makes the coolers. Apparently they've forgotten who their main <laughs> demographic is. And with Carhartt, their main demographic is the working Joe, the guy that's out there, um, earning money by the sweat of his brow and sometimes freezing, which means he wants his car hearts because it helps keep him warm yeah. when it's 30 degrees outside and they're having to dig a trench. So it's really stupid for them to stick by this this nonsense um, because I think they're going to see a lot of backlash and they're going to lose a lot of customers. And again, it's not like, um, you know, um, any of the, uh, I don't even know what to call them anymore, but the, the people sitting in their mom's basement collecting a check by not going to work, these are not people who are buying car hearts. No, they can't afford it because not. they're not they're not getting, uh, and I'm not saying they should get more money, but they're not getting very much money from the government to sit on their butt and do nothing but complain mm. on social media. And hopefully they won't receive any more. We'll see. But yeah, you know, speak, speaking of that as well, you know, there's going to be more options out there now that these mandates have been stopped by the courts. And again, their US Justice Department is still going to appeal both of the decisions on both of these mandates, but Thursday of last week when the Supreme Court ruled that the uh, OSHA vaccine mandate directed at private businesses should be halted. It wasn't a complete victory, by the way, because it still allowed for CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, that their vaccine mandate stay in place. So that means nursing homes, that means hospitals, any place that takes Medicare or Medicaid again can, quote, still mandate vaccines. Again, in our book, still illegal, still unconstitutional, is still a violation of human and medical rights and your right to your own body and to say what goes in it. Uh, The attorney Robert F. Kennedy Jr., by the way, he's got a new book out. Oh, yeah, which you can't order from Barnes & Noble. Found that out from someone this week. And you can only get digital copies. Hmm. Interesting. I can only get the ebook. Can't get the real book, or at least it's extremely difficult to. Yeah, he. It's called the real Anthony Fauci. Well, Robert F. Kennedy. He's been on the front lines fighting for medical freedom, and he highlighted an issue with the court's recent decision. And actually, in in his terms, it was really a disappointment. So he said, "I think the most troubling thing is that the Supreme Court dodged the central matter, which is." the Nuremberg issue, he told the Epoch Times. Yeah, Nuremberg Code. Remember, we went over the Nuremberg Code, was it early last year or late 2020? It's an international research ethics code that came into being during the trials of the Nazi war criminals after World War II. And it is, its central ideas are basically voluntary consent and the prohibition of unnecessary, risky, or random experimentation on human beings. 
So the, the main question that was before the courts with the OSHA mandate was, can the government's power basically force Americans to participate in a medical experiment? These are emergency use authorization vaccines. There's no question that they're experimental. That's the only reason why they have emergency use authorization instead of full authorization, which would mean that they've been fully vetted, fully tested, and that there's information up the wazoo on the risks, benefits, etc. So basically, can any government force people to take experimental products against their will? That, according to Robert Kennedy Jr., should have been the central question that we're asking ourselves in a constitutional democracy, and it was the central concern during the Nuremberg trials. Well, the courts, of course, dodged that. So it's a partial victory. And, hey, we will take any victory that we can right now. But, um, unfortunately, it's not a complete victory. And Kennedy also believes that the Supreme Court is basically opening the doors to state and congressional powers to intervene in what should be considered a civil right. Quote, clearly the Supreme Court is inviting the states and Congress to regulate in this space and apparently to cancel out the clear civil right that we have to not participate in medical experimentation. We'll see where it goes in the future, folks. Um, but I, th- I, have a, I have a bad feeling that he's right. And by the way, if you can pick up a copy of his book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Oh, I've heard it's really good. I'm going to be trying to get... A solid copy myself. If not, I might have to settle for the ebook. But um, yeah, I, I hear that's some really good reading there. So you're definitely going to want to check that out. And by the way, since you know the the mandates have been getting slapped down in federal court, oh yeah, something you might not all have heard about, but um, was de- definitely KOAT seven at least put this out there. The vaccine or test mandate has been paused officially for the city of Albuquerque. Workers. Yeah, the, the city of Albuquerque were actually pausing the vaccine and test mandate as a result of the Supreme Court's ruling. Um, however, of course, our city officials tell the news that the city will continue to fall CDC and prevention and NMDOH guidance in its policy for employees and, of course, work closely with unions. I wonder if that also includes teachers unions who, you know, have decided, oddly enough, in the face of these uh, mandates being slapped down, to go ahead and require kids to be masked outdoors as well. Yeah, that, that, that can't be right. Right? No, no, unfortunately, that is right. So, yeah, we'll see where the city of Albuquerque goes with this as well. Um, you know, while some, while some things on some fronts, it looks like we may be winning, idiocy still abounds everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. So, yeah, never, never uh, give in and never stop upholding the line of freedom because you, you, yeah. you just never well, know. Well, yeah, yeah, idiocy. Uh, Barnes & Noble, there you go. Walk in. <laughs> On the table, lots of copies of Renegades, Born in the USA, mm-hmm. with Barack Obama and oh, everybody's gosh. favorite patriot, not Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. yeah. You buy that all day long, but you can't get a book by Kennedy. Oh, uh, yeah, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I, I think that might qualify as, hmm, censorship, potentially. 
potentially. I don't know. I, I okay. No, I don't agree with it being censorship. I I believe a business should be able to sell what they want to sell, um, and they should have that choice. Um, but um, I mean, it's Barnes and Noble is is not a place that any of us should be shopping. Uh, because they're, I mean, we know what side of the coin they fall on. Oh, yeah. I, um, I'd almost forgotten, too. Remember when uh, Milo Yiannopoulos was releasing his, his books, uh, yep. starting with Dangerous? It w- it became increasingly difficult to get them through Barnes & Noble. I used to go in there like once a week asking them, hey, can we order this book yet? Can we order it yet? Can we order it? Is it on the shelves yet? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I yeah, and, and I think almost every, a lot of people. Every time it was almost like, Oh, um, I've never heard of that book. Uh, no, we can't get that. Uh, no, our, uh, no, that's like, not. Let me spell hmm. the name for you. Are you sure yeah. that's really a book? Eventually, they did get some copies on the show. Some, but man, I had I had to beg for uh, months to get that book on the shelves here in Albuquerque. Um, oh, yeah. I also want to make sure that I let you all know that uh, new data also shows those who recovered from COVID-19 were less likely than the vaccinated to get infected during the Delta wave. And by the way, this, this is from a CDC study. Regardless of the fact that there have been over 140 studies, by the way, already showing that natural immunity is more robust than vaccine immunity, um, the CDC has finally come out and admitted that, well, at least during the Delta wave, it appears that, you know, this might have been the case. Just might. Yeah, the, the truth, the truth is becoming so apparent that even the institutions that have been denying it, they can't really deny it anymore. So, you know, what are they going to do? Well, apparently they're going to silently release things and just hope that enough people don't well, notice them. Here's here's one of the things they're going to do, and it's it's misinformation, okay? Because, you know, I shared this with you, but there's a, a, a new study um, that came out and the, it was published in Brain Communications, and mm-hmm. this is information from NewAtlas.com. But they, uh, the, this uh, study was done of 150 subjects um, with around 60 reporting a PCR-confirmed case of mild COVID-19 up to nine months prior. Um, and what they were looking for is they wanted to see what, whether or not there was any cognitive decline. And... They, these researchers decided, well, they found, they said, that there was some cognitive impairment. Not huge amounts, but there was some cognitive impairments. Um, And what they said is, quote, the new study does conclude by noting, it is plausible to assume transient minor cognitive deficits would be apparent following mild COVID-19 cases. Mm -hmm. End quote. Um, We'll include the link here because I want you all to read the article. I don't want to go through the whole thing. Um, but there's there's one glaring omission here, and they're looking at people who've tested positive using the PCR test yes. that had COVID. One thing that they are not saying. And not including. They're not including whether or not the the subjects that they looked at were vaccinated. It's called a confounding variable. And when you don't include a variable of that magnitude in your study, you know, generally the scientific community doesn't look very kindly 
upon omissions of this magnitude. How can you compare, um, you know, efficacy of immunity between people who've had COVID and people who have not had COVID without including whether or not they have been vaccinated or how many times they have been vaccinated. Right, because they were looking specifically at mild cases of COVID. Just mild. So the one thing that I have been discovering is, you know, I'm looking back and and there are people that I know that have had the variants mm-hmm. that have come up and, and they end up being mild. But they are vaccinated. Now, the folks that I know that are unvaccinated haven't been getting the variants. So to me, it's very important that that information be in here, whether or not are these these people are the, the subjects that they looked at. Were these people vaccinated against covid? Because I think the the importance here, the relevance for them leaving that out is because really the question should be asked is this cognitive de- de- this cognitive decline this dysfunction is it a result of the vaccine or is it a result of covid-19 right and that's not what they're addressing but they're putting it out there that covid is causing this Even without giving you cases. all the information mhm yeah so it, it's basically if you if you are putting out a theory without all of the confounding variables and all of the information needed to actually come to at least a somewhat accurate conclusion, uh, then you're doing a huge disservice to society. And in this case, dang, Oxford, I hate to say this because I actually have really liked some of the studies that have come out of the Oxford Medical Research uh, you know, group. But in this case, is, was this just done to stoke fear? In the community, was just the was this just done to uh, promote? Oh yeah, you all might have heard this term recently, mass formation psychosis. Huh? You, you've got to wonder. You really have got to wonder because these days there's so much misinformation out there. And yes, we're in a day and age where truth and facts get labeled misinformation, and misinformation gets touted and shouted from the rooftops. You know, we've, we've got a video here um, by, it's called After School, they're on YouTube, and this is called A Killing of the Mind, Mass Psychosis, How an Entire Population Becomes Mentally Ill. I will include the link in the show notes, but we're going to play just a short, a short clip for you today. This is excellent, and somehow they very creatively slid by the YouTube sensors. And you, it's something you really have to see the whole thing for yourself because there's a visual component that is, it, it goes hand in glove and you'll understand so much more if you see it. But let's go ahead and run a quick clip of this. While fear primes a population for menticide, the use of propaganda to spread misinformation and to promote confusion with respect to the source of the threats and the nature of the crisis, helps to break down the minds of the masses. Government officials and their lackeys in the media can use contradictory reports, nonsensical information, and even blatant lies, as the more they confuse, the less capable will a population be to cope with the crisis and diminish their fear in a rational and adaptive manner. Confusion, in other words, heightens the susceptibility of a dissent into the delusions of totalitarianism. Or as Mirlu explains, 
logic can be met with logic, while illogic cannot. It confuses those who think straight. The big lie and monotonously repeated nonsense have more emotional appeal than logic and reason. While the people are still searching for a reasonable counter-argument to the first lie, the totalitarians can assault them with another. Never before in history have such effective means existed to manipulate a society into the psychosis of totalitarianism. Smartphones and social media, television and the internet, all in conjunction with algorithms that quickly censor the flow of unwanted information, allow those in power to easily assault the minds of the masses. What is more, the addictive nature of these technologies means that many people voluntarily subject themselves to the ruling elite's propaganda with a remarkable frequency. Modern technology, explains Mirlu, teaches man to take for granted the world he is looking at. He takes no time to retreat and reflect. Technology lures him on, dropping him into its wheels and movements. No rest, no meditation, no reflection, no conversation. The senses are continually overloaded with stimuli. Man doesn't learn to question his world anymore. The screen offers him answers, ready-made. But there is a further step the would-be totalitarian rulers can take to increase the chance of a totalitarian psychosis. And this is to isolate the victims and to disrupt normal social interactions. When alone and lacking normal interactions with friends, family, and co-workers, an individual becomes far more susceptible to delusions for several reasons. Firstly, they lose contact with the corrective force of the positive example. For not everyone is tricked by the machinations of the ruling elite, and the individuals who mm -hmm. see through the propaganda can help free others from the menticidal assault. If, however, isolation is enforced, the power of these positive examples greatly diminishes. But another reason that isolation increases the efficacy of menticide is because, like many other species, human beings are more easily conditioned into new patterns of thought and behavior when isolated. Or as Mirlu explains with regards to the physiologist Ivan Pavlov's work on behavioral conditioning, Pavlov made another significant discovery. The conditioned reflex could be developed most easily in a quiet laboratory with a minimum of disturbing stimuli. Every trainer of animals knows this from his own experience. Stop Isolation it right there, in the patient Bingo. Isolation makes it easier to override the logic that you've developed all your life, that others have helped to instill in you, the, the own logic of your own processes, your mental processes. It makes you more easily trainable. What have we been subject to for the past two years, to varying degrees, yes, in different states, but especially here in the state of New Mexico? Our governors kept us locked down for over a year. Now, granted, some of us, more so than others, uh, some of us were like, you know, with, you know, as soon as lockdown started, let's go for a drive. <laughs> oh, gee, we wouldn't know anyone like that, would we, sweetie? Oh, yeah. Um, hmm, <laughs> let's go us? for a drive. Let's go to the park. Let's go hiking. Let's, let's go see friends that are still willing to see us. But how many of you, and I, I include ourselves in this, know friends and family members who actually did stay isolated, did stay locked down, 
did stay glued to the propaganda machine of corporate media that entire time who are still caught in that vicious cycle of fear and being fed by the propaganda machine, they have been reprogrammed. And and I hate to say this, unfortunately, we know people in our family who have succumbed to that programming still. They're still caught up in it. We know friends or people who used to be friends who have succumbed to that programming and are still literally living in fear of something that they do not have to be afraid of anymore, if they ever did. I hope you all watch that video. I really do. Mass psychosis, how an entire population becomes mentally ill. It's actually been around, I believe, since last August. Amazed that YouTube hasn't taken it down yet. And that was, though I know that was a lot of words, even just that small segment that we played for you all to take in. But you've got to see it paired with the visuals. It's paired with hand-drawn visuals that just pull everything together. Eric was watching it uh, as he played it on there. And it's, it, it is amazing because it uses the words of psychiatrists down right. through the ages. Right, and, and the reference that he made was to Eust uh, Mirlu, um, who I believe is, is, was a Dutch doctor. And the, the book that was referenced was The Rape of the Mind, The Psychology of Thought Control, yes. Menticide, and Brainwashing. Now, this is really fascinating to me, this book. Um, you, should, you should all get that and read that. Fun reading, I should tell you. <laughs> but when do you think that came out? Oh, gosh. Early... 1956. Oh! 1956 is when that book came out. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, the, the interesting thing is, um, you know, there, there are certain people, um, and I'm not going to say the C word, the C name, but they follow um, Alinsky's rules of radicals. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, 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 that is their Bible. But I think we may have missed something, and I think a lot of these folks— I think they've read this book and they are they are using these using examples. It. Now, I'm, this book was not m- meant to be a guidepost for the subjugation of society. I mean, quite the opposite. It, it was written um, by Mirlu as a warning to the rest of us. Hey, y- you need to open your eyes. But the, it is just it's eerily uncanny the things that that. Um, Mirlu talked about in his book that we see right now. And a lot of it now is, if even disguised at all, thinly disguised, some of it not even disguised at all. No, it's out not, there in the open. They're not even hiding it anymore. And that, that uh, article we read based on the CDC's own study, um, you know, acknowledging, okay, yeah, this is the truth. But then go- going back to, you know, this... Oxford study of, oh, well, mild COVID cases, you know, might, might cause some kind of mental instability or decline or issues, etc. They're still doing it to us. They're still doing it to you. If you are still locked down out there in your home, afraid of your own shadow, afraid, afraid of germs, please, please, Consider stepping outside and getting a breath of fresh air. That is your battle right now. That's your fight. Remember, 
we're in the middle of tyranny in this state. And we need to learn to just say no to tyranny, realize that resistance is not futile, and it's up to us, New Mexico, to stay free. No one's going to do it for us. We have to claim freedom for ourselves. We'll see you next Saturday, 2 to 5 p.m. here in the Kiva, 1600 a.m. See you all soon. Stay free, New Mexico.